You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 532. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. With your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at former APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 11th of August, 2022. Today's episode, audio of a 911 call after a pilot jumps out of a cargo plane. Two Alaska airline pilots supposedly couldn't get along delaying their flight. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale, Batman and Robin. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger and Flight 532 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He is an award-winning TV and radio reporter at the the world's number one <laughs> all-news station in the nation. Oh, that doesn't work. Ten uh, Ten wins in New York City. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast, and we cover the latest in aviation news, and we also cover your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia. And joining me today from across the pond. 1,000. In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Oh, hi there, Jeff. It's great to be back after a short swan song away from the show uh, except i'm a bit hot and sticky oh well that's not good glad to have you back we've missed you and also joining us today hey yeah from his studio in the air capital low and slow pilot old airplane enthusiast and engineer in the aerospace and defense industry it's nick camacho macho man hey glad to be back it's uh, it's been a while since we had. Uh, I've been on a normal show, so yeah, this well, should be good. <laughs> Maybe a little rusty. <laughs> yeah, normal show. I don't know what the definition of normal <laughs> is, but uh, yeah, for us, uh, yeah. Anyway, let's. Uh, we'll get caught up later with what everybody has been up to, and and uh, I think for most of us, it's been a lot. And uh, we're going to go ahead and start off, though, covering some news. And Dr. Steph should be, and as well as uh, Miami Rick, should be joining us while the show is in progress. Without further ado, here comes the news. Stand by for news. All right. Well, one of the big things that has happened in the last couple of weeks is, of course, our, uh, well, Nick Camacho 
and my visit to the Experimental Aircraft Association's Air Venture 2022 at Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And uh, we had a great time, and uh, it was a record-setting year at Air Venture. And uh, the picture that you're watching or seeing now uh, is a picture of the, uh, what do they call that, outdoor uh, The fly-in theater. Fly-in theater. And... Uh, it's amazing. Look at that crowd there. I think they said it was a record-breaking crowd, over 7,000 people uh, in attendance to yeah. watch uh, Top Gun Maverick. Top Gun 2, yeah. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Oh, it must have been great. <laughs> Lots of cheering, I hope. I don't know. Um, yeah, Liz asks if that's the crowd at my recording. Yes, that's one. That's uh, we, uh, we had to take it outside, Liz. Uh, we didn't have enough room in the uh, media center. Uh, yeah, no, that that was not our crowd. Uh, it was a little bit smaller. Thank you very much, Liz. Uh, let's see. Uh, this year's attendance was approximately 650,000 people, which was 7% more than 2021's attendance and exceeded the previous record of 642,000, which was set in 2019. Yeah, that was the last time that we were there. Right, Nick? Remember that? Yeah, it was. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. There were several factors involved in the record attendance this year. In addition to the great weather, well, it was all great except for one night, uh, programs such as the 75th anniversary of the U.S. Air Force contributed to exciting aerial displays all week, and it was a joy to welcome our international visitors back in full force for the first time since 2019. Oh, I should say, I guess he's talking about the actual time frame of air venture that only that started on monday the the weather that i was speaking of which we'll talk about later in the getting to know us segment was on a saturday night so a couple of days before the air show started uh, total aircraft more than ten thousand aircraft arrived at whitman regional airport and other airports in east central wisconsin at whitman alone there were eighteen thousand six hundred and eighty four aircraft operations in the 11-day period from july 21st through the 31st which is an average of approximately 121 takeoffs and landings per hour when the airport is open. And that actually beats Atlanta International on a good day. Good Lord. Yeah. Uh, total airplanes, 3,226, including 1,375 registered and vintage aircraft parking, plus 1,156 home-built aircraft. Uh, that's up 6% over 2021. 369 warbirds, up 5%. 137 ultralights, 87 seaplanes, 77 aerobatic aircraft, and 25 rotorcraft. Uh, camping. Hey, that was me, or I was one of them. More than 12,000 sites in aircraft and drive-in counting accounted for an estimated 40,000 visitors. Uh, more than 1,400 uh, forums, workshops, presentations hosted throughout the week. Social media, internet, and mobile, uh, more than 10.6 million people were reached by EAA social media channels during AirVenture with engagement of 1.1 million. More than 83,000 hours of viewing uh, EAA video clips and old APG episodes online uh, also occurred during the event. Did you catch that little thing I just threw in there? Yeah, I did. I giggled, but I was okay. on mute. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let's see. Oh, a media. 797 media representatives on site from six continents, including two so-called media people from the Airline Pilot Guy <laughs> show. That would be Nick exactly. Camacho. <laughs> uh, we just have a name for them. It's called Cheapskate. <laughs> Shut up. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, so there you go. I just wanted to kind of start off with that. A nice positive uh, piece of news for the EAA Air Venture. And uh, we had a great time. We're gonna, As I said, we'll talk about that in more detail in the Getting to Know Us segment. All right. We're going to start off. Uh, well, not start off. We're going to continue with uh, this item. Alaska Airlines flight delayed because pilots couldn't get along. <laughs> Um, so yeah, um, first time, well, while flight delays have become rather standard in this area, it's not every day that a flight's delayed for this reason. Uh, this incident happened on Monday, July 18, 2022, and it involves Alaska airlines flight 1080 from Washington, Dulles to San Francisco international, which was operated by an Airbus a 320. The flight had allegedly already been delayed by 90 minutes due to bad weather in the area, but then things got worse. According to reports from passengers, the plane returned to the gate after pushing back, as the two pilots allegedly couldn't get along. Oh, couldn't get along. This is corroborated by multiple people who were on the flight who all share a similar story on Twitter. One of the pilots was even quite transparent with passengers about the issue, stating that this was, quote, due to a failure to get along and that he was leaving the plane in the interest of safety. One passenger recorded the end of the pilot's apology before leaving the plane. I tried to find that, and uh, it was already removed from Twitter, so uh, sorry about that. Another passenger recorded a video of the pilot leaving the gate area, and I do have that. Let's uh, take a look at that. Uh, There is the pilot. Oh, is that Armando? No, I don't (laughs) think so. No, he doesn't have a beard. Uh, walking away, and uh, I don't know. I I couldn't tell how many stripes this uh, pilot had. I don't know if that's the captain or the first officer. I'm guessing first officer, but I could be wrong. Could be the captain, right? Can't tell. Too far away. No. Um, anyway, uh, let's see. Rather impressively, Alaska Airlines quickly found a replacement pilot as a crew member who was scheduled to work a flight to Los Angeles was rostered onto this flight last minute. The flight was scheduled to land in San Francisco at 7.05, but ended up landing at 9.31 p.m., less than two and a half hours behind schedule. Arguably, the passengers on the Los Angeles flight had it worse, as it took quite some time for them to find a replacement pilot. That flight was supposed to land at 8.05 p.m., but ended up landing at 10.38, so that was a delay of over two and a half hours. Um, So... uh, Let's see, some of the commentary from passengers on the flight uh, seemed to be a bit dramatic. Uh, quote, very scary that your pilots could be this careless and flippant. Uh, another quote, I've never been more traumatized by a flight experience in all my years of flying domestic interna- international. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah. So I think that, and I'm, I'm sure that um, you'll probably share the same viewpoint that if you're in a situation, a uh, two-pilot crew, and you're you're fighting or you're not getting along or whatever, it is very, very – it's a very unsafe environment. And it – I mean, I, I don't I, – I almost give them kudos for, like, bringing it back to the gate and saying this is not going to work and it's not worth the risk of, you know, flight safety. Now, I may have b- used different terminology when explaining why – um, you know, we, we had to return to the gate and wait for another crew member. Um, uh, you know, you, I, I don't know if it was really important to share the reason, uh, as far as, you know, not getting along fighting, whatever. What, what do you think, Captain Nick? I, I'm a great believer in telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are 
times when you don't need to give all the details, and I think this is one of them, because um, a lot of uh, aviation relies on passengers' trust in their crew, and this would do nothing but erode that trust um, because, you know, you've still got one of the crew members on board. You don't know who was the problem person. Uh, it might cause them a certain level of nervousness, and it certainly doesn't do the airline's image any good. So I'm with you. I would have just said we uh, have a uh, an issue with the crew. We're going to uh, have to wait for another pilot. Uh, you don't need to give any more explanation than that, um, and away you go. So it's a bit like airing your dirty linen in public. We don't want to do that either. So uh, right. um, I don't think the passengers would be any better informed uh, if you had just uh, kept it simple and not included the exact reason. I agree. What do you think, uh, Camacho man? Uh, so – uh, the thing that I would be wondering about is what they were actually fighting over. I, it seems to me like, um, it seems to me like there's enough, uh, there would be enough definition in how you guys operate and how everything is done that it would be pretty easy to sort most arguments out. And even if, you know, obviously the chain of command is important, but there's also crew resource management that people want to to weigh. But, you know, it seems like, unless they're arguing about personal issues, um, I would just be curious to know like what they were arguing and, and couldn't due to a failure to get along, what they weren't getting along about, whether it was a specific aspect of how they were operating the airplane or what. Yeah. Again, it would have been nice for us to know, but I'm not sure that that would be something that no. they should share right. with, <laughs> with right. the passengers. Yeah. I don't think that you're, you're saying that. Um, I, uh, remember the, uh, the only time that I've been in a situation where things kind of got uncomfortable and it, it wasn't really directly involving me. I was the uh, flight engineer on the 727 and we were leaving Dallas, Fort Worth, heading to Atlanta. And the, um, the first officer had gotten the, uh, this was back in the days before, uh, CPDL, uh, CPL, CPDLC and, um, and, uh, what is it? Um, why can't I think of the other thing that we use for our clearances, PDCs, pre-departure clearances through the uh, ACAR system. So you had to call them up and there are still places that we have to do that for, for instance, like Madison, Wisconsin and Jackson, Mississippi and Little Rock, et cetera, uh, where you have to call up the, um, the controller and get a verbal over the radio clearance for your flight. And uh, apparently the first officer did this without the captain being there to hear it. And that's uh, against our standard operating procedures. Um, but I didn't know that any of this had happened. I, I was probably out doing a walk around and I came back and everything seemed normal. And then we were doing our departure out of Dallas, Fort Worth. And uh, the, the uh, air traffic controllers asked, uh, where are you going, uh, ACME? And, uh, you know, the, the guy said, well, we're going here. And he said, well, you were not cleared that departure. You were cleared the other, uh, some other departure. Uh, uh, and I'm, I'm looking around going like, what is going on? What's happening here? And, uh, so the first officer, uh, knew that the, uh, departure was a different departure than we had filed. However, he forgot or neglected to tell the captain. And then I thought, this is strange. And then I, I noticed this vibe going, this bad vibe going on, come to find out after all of this, that these two had flown together, I guess, on the DC nine. Uh, and 
they had had some kind of a falling out, uh, some kind of fight uh, in the past. So they had history and uh, they were already not happy to be flying with each other on this crew. And I had no, I had no idea until that happened. And I'm thinking, uh Oh, are we going to be violated now? Am I in trouble? <laughs> you know, but uh, kind of weird. Hello, staff. Hi. Hi, How staff. are you guys? Welcome. Thank you. Very good. Um, we're, we're doing well. And uh, we're glad that you have joined us. And I know Me that too. you're going to have a kind of a hard out at a certain oh, point. Oh, yeah. I have I have a work call at 530. So in okay. just under an hour. And I will be there for however long that takes. Um, okay. Some of the people on the call are optimistic that it's going to be 30 minutes. I'm not <laughs> sure that I share their optimism on that Aww. based on some other comments I heard floating around today. So, uh, yeah. Well, I just... It could be 30 minutes if it, you know, would just stick to the agenda, but I yeah. think people well. are going to insert their own agenda items. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll but once just, I'm there, unfortunately, I won't be able to leave it until it ends. So we'll cross I shall our fingers. Endeavor and to return if I can. We'll cross our but. fingers and hope that uh, that it's uh, on the shorter side and not the longer side. Yes, yes. Steph, and, I'm going to buy you a cardboard cutout so that you can just <laughs> put that in front of the camera next time. And just move it well, around. I'm not even going to have the camera on. <laughs> It's a Zoom meeting, but just I mean, have like a little recording. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, there's some meetings where I could be minimally involved and probably just have it on in the background. Unfortunately, this is not one of them. So it's 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 good. It's all good stuff, but I need to be there for a lot of reasons. So good. All right. Well, uh, we kind of skipped our uh, second news item uh, because we wanted you to be here to kind of. Ah have some of your input uh, regarding this uh, very kind of a strange incident. But um, I, I, let's, uh, I guess we can wrap up this uh, mm-hmm. Alaska Airlines uh, delay and feud and one of the crew members uh, leaving and uh, having to get a, a new crew member to take over. I think there's really not much else to be said about that. Right, guys? Okay. Uh, let's um, jump back to item B. And, uh, this, uh, as I said, was, is a, from a local, uh, affiliate in, um, in, uh, Raleigh. Charlotte or Raleigh. I'm sorry. I think I said Charlotte before mm-hmm. Raleigh. And, uh, so we have some, uh, some audio and, uh, some video that goes along with it, but, uh, you'll, you'll catch the drift if you're just listening to the audio. So here we go again. Let me start that over. That I think I'd already just started it. So let me uh, go from right here. Local uh, 11 ABC in Raleigh. RDU. Emergency. We've uh, we've lost our right wheel. We'd like to proceed to Raleigh and make a landing at Raleigh. A plane with two people on board. There was two say home base of aircraft. Persons on board having to make an emergency landing in Raleigh after trying to land near Rayford. Their call with air traffic control. I got it. Uh, We were attempting to land. We made contact with the ground, had a hard landing, and decided to go around. And at that point, we lost the wheel. The plane arriving at Raleigh-Durham International Airport. How do you intend to land at Raleigh-Durham? We get as low as we can, and I guess we're going to put it on the belly. Authorities finding only one pilot on board. The body of 23-year-old Charles Hugh Crooks found 20 miles away from the airport in a Fuquay Verena neighborhood. 
the sound heard by several residents happening in one eyewitness's backyard. I thought, honestly, it was somebody who was slamming a trash can lid or something because it was pretty loud. Questions on how Crooks exited remain as authorities investigate. Maybe fell or jumped, I don't know. But um, I was feeling remorseful for his family. I guess I don't know if we'll ever really know, but it's just crazy. If he jumped a second earlier, he could have been right here on my kid's play set. I mean, just a million things. And the sadness about it, right, of, of it being a, a 23-year-old guy who probably woke up that day, had breakfast, and was ready to go fly a plane. And so Crooks's body was found without any parachute or landing gear nearby. And the pilot who survived has been released from the hospital. And the plane that was on the runway has been moved. The airport at RDU running under normal operations. Reporting in Fuquay, Verena, Cindy Bay, ABC 11 Eyewitness News. Okay, the uh, aircraft uh, in this case operated by, um, yeah, forgot already, um, do you recall, Steph? It's Rampart Aviation. Rampart it's, a, Aviation. it's under a different name, though. With their, yeah, like Spore or something like something that. Something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But I guess they do uh, contract work for the uh, U.S. Army, uh, do a lot of missions. Um, yeah, it's in, a lot in, of military operations, um, yeah. parachute operations. Okay. And uh, they were at a like Rayford West, uh, which is, I think, southwest of uh, the Raleigh-Durham uh, airport area. It is to the south. East, actually. Southeast, okay. If I'm thinking correctly on my map of the state of North Carolina. Okay. Well, it doesn't matter. Uh, Just south south of Raleigh. They were doing some operations, and apparently uh, on one of the landings, it was a very firm landing, uh, firm enough and hard enough that the right main landing gear actually separated from the aircraft. And that's why they decided to uh, come back or head up to Raleigh-Durham International, where they have... uh, Longer runways and more support. Emergency services. Yeah, emergency yeah. services. Um, here, I need to get rid of this. That okay. And um, so, uh, at first, the initial reporting of this uh, said that uh, there was no indication of why this happened, and uh, none of what I'm going to play right now was in any of the um, of the news reports. I think that uh, it was purposely withheld. And uh, but let's just take a listen to this. This is the uh, the, the pilot in command of the aircraft, which is a Casa. Uh, what is that? Uh, a cargo airplane. Um, forgot the number on it. Two twelve. Two twelve. Two hundred. And uh, listen to this. This is the pilot uh, talking with uh, Raleigh uh, approach. Raleigh approach. Eighty zero two. Eighty zero two road. My co-pilot just ran out the back of the plane. He just ran out the back of the plane. So you don't have a co-pilot on you, sir? No, he just jumped out the back of the plane. Uh, right. Would you like me to circle where he left at? Uh, Say that again? Would you like me to circle where he got out at or you got me on track? Uh, We still have you on track. Did you need something else? No, the dude literally jumped out the back of the plane without a parachute. Silence. Did you need to do something else, or something? No, I need to land. I'm just making you aware you're going to have a dead body out where I just called you at. He just jumped out the back of the plane. You're right. Did it continue on you heading 050? 
Okay. Initially, there was speculation that that could have been the case where the, he may have purposely left the aircraft. And then there was also speculation that perhaps uh, he was trying to view the condition of the right main landing gear on the uh, ramp that uh, is lowered uh, straight out the back and uh, he he fell out. But I don't know about you, but this particular recording, uh, listening to the captain uh, talking to air traffic control, makes it sound to me that he purposely left the airplane. So I, I don't know. What do you all think? It's, I, I agree with your assessment there. That's what it sounds like from the audio. I don't think there's any reason right now to think otherwise on that, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't think anyone knows the actual why. Still right. doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Captain sounds remarkably calm, considering, uh, you know, he's just witnessed his uh, first officer kill himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm just amazed at how, uh, I mean, a guy's already got an emergency. He'd be a little bit hyped up. And now his, uh, the other pilot has apparently, uh, for no for no reason he's that we know of, has uh, has jumped um, it's a, it's such an incredibly odd thing to have happened. I, I'm I'm absolutely flabbergasted, um, quite honestly. Um, but uh, you know, uh, well, it's one of those things. I don't think we're ever really going to get fully to the bottom of this because Mm-mm. the only person that knows what was in the chap's mind is the chap himself, and sadly, he's dead now. Yeah. Yep. I had read there is some kind of a lawsuit um, that uh, an HR related, um, you know, Steph probably be up up to speed on that (laughs) Uh, (laughs) related um, uh, lawsuit regarding the culture and uh, 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 working conditions at this particular company. And I guess they're, they're kind of very, uh, uh, I don't know the the word to use, but it's a rough place to work. Uh, very not uh, not very um, forgiving if you make mistakes. Uh, there apparently uh, a lot of swearing, a lot of old uh, former uh, military people working there, and they purposely make the environment uh, not a a friendly, warm, you know. Uh, if you're a snowflake, in other words, it's not a good place to work. Now, I'm not saying that that has anything to do with this situation here, but it was just interesting that in some of the uh, news sources I was looking at regarding this particular company mentioned that. And I'm wondering, you know, could it be that uh, this guy th- is thinking to himself, shoot, you know, I've, I've just ruined my career and I, I really I may have messed up by landing so hard and breaking this airplane and the, just the environment there was so severe that. He thought the best way to fix this situation is just to, you know, to end my life. I, I, That's again, interesting. This is I, hadn't, I hadn't heard or read any of that, that stuff, but I've only read some of the, uh, yeah. um, you know, just the uh, the raw data stuff for this whole incident on mm-hmm. purpose, trying not to bring in a whole lot of uh, news media interpretation as best I right. can. Um, so I hadn't, I hadn't seen that part of it. Um, and I, I don't know anything about the, the culture at that particular company, but um, it's funny you mentioned that though, because that was actually, uh, you know, we're, we're, it's not too far from where we are here that this happened. So there's been a lot of talk and just discussion about it. And mm-hmm. that's definitely been mentioned as a, gosh, you think he was so upset about, you know, just what happened with the aircraft itself that 
he thought it would yeah. so do, detrimentally do impact his, handling... his chances going forward with his career that he couldn't live with that. Um, that's that's yeah. horrible if that's the case. Mm -hmm. But like like Nick said, I don't think we'll ever know. What, uh, there's no way we're ever going to know what was going through his head. It's just not possible. No. Do, do we know who was handling the aircraft when they had the first incident? We don't. No, think. but I think it's been kind of implied that the uh, the young person who jumped out, fell out, uh, was the one that had made the the bad landing. Okay. I have I haven't seen anything to but nothing definitive confirm or support that. But right, nothing nothing definitive. Um, yeah, yeah. it's just a, a sad situation, and, and as as you've said, many of you said. Uh, it's going to be difficult to know exactly what was going through his head at the time uh, to for him to think that this was the best way to handle the situation. Yeah. All right. Anything else to say about that? We'll just kind of hope that we'll find more information uh, regarding this. All right. The next item in our news notebook is uh, from several different sources, uh, dailymail.co.uk, one, and uh, we're going to play a video from another source, uh, 737 crush, crushes tug at LaGuardia Airport. Um, an airplane tug driver has miraculously escaped what seemed like certain death on the LaGuardia Airport tarmac in Queens. An American Airlines plane that he was towing went haywire and drove over his vehicle in a dramatic crash caught on video. And uh, why don't we go ahead and uh, play said video, and we'll keep our fingers crossed that we'll, we'll be able to see it. Okay, I don't believe there's any sound to this, so we're watching surveillance video. There's a tug, not a super tug. It has a big, long tow bar, and then the tow bar... Uh, comes off the nose wheel. The tug uh, driver stops his tug and the 737 uh, continues its pivot. It's making a very, very sharp turn. And by just the way, me or does it seem like it's going faster? Is that just the video, how the frame speed is? I, I don't a, think so. I think this is in no. real time uh, because a lot of the uh, recordings I've seen or videos I've seen were actually in slow motion. Yeah. And this Doesn't is the, that look rather fast. Yes. Yes, yeah, exactly totally. right. <laughs> That's why the, the thing came off the nose wheel because he was going extremely fast and making a very sharp 90 degree turn or maybe even more than 90 degrees uh, to bring the airplane into the gate. Yeah. Um, it looks like operator error, tug operator error to me. Have you got any audio, Jeff? I was just wanted to hear if he was going, yeehaw. Oh, <laughs> wait a minute. He may have. Let me see if I can uh, find the audio. Let me turn that up. Yeehaw. Yeah. 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 That, okay. You're right. Well, that, that accounts <laughs> yeah. for it. There you go. Answers that question. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I think I have a picture here that I can show of the uh, tug. Um, and the fuselage wow. <laughs> of the 737 jumbo jet, <laughs> jumbo jet. Uh, over the top. Yeah, that news article that, from which I was reading the Daily Mail was saying that this was a uh, he was towing a jumbo uh, jet, and I'm thinking, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so I'm not sure what the the extent of uh, the tug driver's injuries were but apparently he uh he did not get out of this unscathed but he did not die which is good 
Yeah, it looks mm. like he. I, I think the story he, said he was unharmed. okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah oh, he was unharmed. Stuck. He was just, just stuck. stuck. Okay. Well, good for him. Uh, and the, the thing is very well constructed as far as the the protective cage around the. Uh, now we have several at Acme, several tugs, and different airlines do as well. Uh, that is that doesn't have a roof uh, structure right, over like it. Yeah, that could have been a bad situation, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I mean, this this isn't an, uh, necessarily an unusual situation either because I've had a possibly two tow bars break, um, and I, t- I was taxiing into Dubai, and um, I was looking at a 380 that had managed to have a tow bar break and twisted its Ooh. nose gear around about 100 degrees <laughs> of oh, travel, which is well beyond the limits. And it was just sitting there looking very awkward and surrounded by a bunch of engineers scratching their heads. Mm. <laughs> So it's it's not unusual, no. But uh, it's the rate at which it happens, and uh, the fact that the brake man, who's supposed to be in the flight deck with his feet resting on the brakes, ready to apply them, was uh, just a bit slow getting the brakes on. Yeah, because that's his number just one job bit. there. But uh, certainly, the it looks like the um, original cause was taking that corner too sharply. Such so the, the aircraft either to push the tug into a jackknife, and at that point, the the, uh, the tow bar gave way, and um, the aircraft continued to swivel around until it trapped him underneath. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, the the guy sit, trouble is the the guy sitting on the cockpit in the cockpit, the brake man. Um, you have to be really on the ball if you're going to stop it because he may not be able to see the depends which seat he's in the tug very easily at that point, and he may he may not realize what's happened. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, especially the speed they're traveling at there, it was probably just like, oh, yeah. we made the turn, and what was that? Yeah, this guy's going a little <laughs> bit faster than he normally does uh, for some reason, yeah. but hey, it looks like he's we're returning toward the gate. This is working, and all of a sudden, a big thump. Donk. Yeah. Would, that, would that tug driver be in communication with the guy in the cockpit? Like He's supposed to be. Headsets yes. on? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but having said that, the communication cable may have been severed at the same ah. time that the, yeah, the tug. Good point. Uh, nose wheel. Probably very likely. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. the, the guy in the cockpit could be like, hey, we're showing airspeed on these gauges. That would happen. Approaching <laughs> uh, V1 here. here. Uh, you want to slow down? Yeah. Or maybe, maybe he... Nailed the brakes to sl- try to slow everything down, and maybe that's what caused the tow bar to come off. I don't know. Okay. Who knows? But yeah, there there is a there is a uh, mechanic engineer, whatever you want to call them, um, a brake man up in the uh, normally sitting in the captain's seat of the aircraft when they do these towing operations, and it just as you said, probably caught him really completely off guard. Didn't really know what was happening until it was way too late. Yeah. And, and those guys are, that's not just like a guy they chuck up there, right? Those guys are well-trained yeah. and they know how the airplane works. I, my dad used to teach maintenance and they would put the mechanics going to mechanic school in the pilot simulators and they would start the engine, start the airplanes and taxi the airplanes and everything. So mm-hmm. I would imagine the airline guys would be the same way. Very well acquainted with all the systems. Yeah. Some, something just tells me that he was going about three, four or five times the speed that you were supposed to 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's faster than I would taxi the damned aeroplane. <laughs> <laughs> Not me, of course. Uh, mind Not you, Jeff. I, I yeah, Jeff is. <laughs> wasn't Southwest, no, was it? Yeah. Or Jeff. Or Jeff. <laughs> a Southwest wannabe. Uh, uh, Neil Lamorm had a good comment. He received a Boeing on the head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> look at that. Uh, uh, he literally then, uh, <laughs> received a Boeing. Hey, possible show title. And then. <laughs> yes. Just oh, the, the thought that the somebody like somebody it. is out there watching <laughs> Jeff watch some other guy watch this crash on his computer <laughs> when he played that video made me chuckle a little bit. Because <laughs> the video that Jeff played was of someone videoing their computer screen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah because I guess the video came from uh, like a surveillance thing, and it's probably the only way they could – they could quickly capture it. it. Yeah. Just like the uh, video like, from Ooh, the- Like, this is good. Watch this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I got to send this Not to my sharing. friends. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's just like the aircraft carrier where the, the F-35- <laughs> right, yeah, crashed. exactly. With the, uh, yeah. yeah, they weren't supposed to be doing that Not either. sharing. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's uh, continue on with this. Uh, item E, a drunk- student pilot has been arrested after landing on a highway out of fuel. Uh, this is from air live. Good dot- start to your career. Yeah. <laughs> yes. career. Well, it gets better stuff. I know. Sure. It really does. <laughs> Airlive.net is where this is from. Uh, John T seizing 35 of Prairie village, Kansas landed a small aircraft on I 70 near grain Valley uh, in Florida. No, I don't know where that was. Um, Missouri, somewhere in Missouri, around 2.45 in the morning on Friday. Missouri State Highway Patrol said it believes he was headed toward the Wheeler downtown airport in Kansas City when he ran out of fuel and had to make an emergency landing on the highway. Seizing was the only passenger on board the aircraft, and he sustained minor injuries. The Kansan radioed in before landing and had a small collision with a guardrail, but no cars uh, were hit. Uh, I don't know. That's a miracle, isn't it? I, here, let me show the picture. Yeah. Um, maybe somebody can yeah. pop that in there while I'm, uh, I'll do it. Uh, I'm so used to having my, my assistant, uh, director, producer person, Liz, who's just sitting there watching us and laughing with her feet propped up on some nice piece of furniture at the lake cottage. Right, Liz? Am I right? Okay, so there's the picture there of uh, the mostly intact aircraft that landed on the highway and uh, on a guardrail, apparently. Okay, um, so let me continue with the story. Um, the Missouri State Highway Patrol found the man intoxicated and arrested him on the scene. He was arrested on suspicion of DWI, careless actions, felony possession of a controlled substance, felony unlawful possession of a firearm, possession of less than 10 grams of marijuana and possession of drug paraphernalia, according to the Kansas well, is, city. Is that a, uh, is that a something that's in the law? You, you've got to have more than 10 grams of marijuana. Yeah, otherwise why bother? I think it uh, depends on the state, arrested? Nick, but I think that, uh, yes, no, I think that is a thing. Uh, the, in Kansas, the you have to have more, you have to have more have to than have more. 10 grams. Yeah. Ah, okay. So that no, was I like, think probably in Kansas, you're not allowed to have, any of those quantities, so they just oh. define the uh, penalty by how much you actually have. Oh, yeah, yeah, probably so. Oh, fair enough. Okay. Uh, the 35-year-old had a student pilot certificate, which was issued in January 2020, 
but it was not allowed to have passengers. Well, he didn't have any passengers. He did not have passengers. Had a lot of drug paraphernalia and uh, drugs and stuff, and apparently yeah, he, he probably had been thought using. he had a passenger or two. <laughs> Uh, yeah, his passenger was supposed to have uh, put more fuel in the aircraft. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. He was probably having an argument with him all during the flight. You should have put some more damn fuel. His invisible friend? Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Mm. All right. Well, what do you think? I mean, we've all done this. Come on. I think stupid <laughs> is as stupid does here. Jeez. Yeah. And, you know, Absolutely. something about like. Yeah. God looks out for fools, and fools. thankfully no one else was injured. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Children and fools. Children and fools, that's right. Well, I think that's probably the end of his flying career. At least I hope it's the end of his flying uh, yeah, career. I think it will be. Yeah. I, yes. I think the more impressive aspect of this is if you look at a map and you look at the fact that this guy's flying like a 100-knot airplane or a 110-knot airplane, and he was able to fly it all the way from Kansas to Florida and turn around and come back. And I think he did it in like 24 hours. Wow. Um, and he did not get in trouble until he was like 15 minutes away from his destination. <laughs> <laughs> so you were close. so close. <laughs> <laughs> that is, yeah, you're right. That is the most impressive part of this, I think. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, anything else to add or take away? No. I think okay. that one speaks for itself. Yeah, it does. Just uh, stupid is as stupid does, right? Mm-hmm. All right, uh, a Chinook crash in Salmon River, Idaho. This is from Alan Wilson in Salmon, Idaho. Uh, Hi, Jeff. Love your podcast. You're probably aware of the recent crash of a Chinook shopper that took the lives of two pilots. It crashed into the Salmon River, filling the bucket with water. The NTSB is investigating. So they were trying to fill their water bucket um, of the helicopter with water from the Salmon River. The NTSB is investigating. The chopper was owned by Rotac out of Anchorage, Alaska. Not Rotacs, but Rotac. And let me uh, add the picture right there. That's uh, the uh, the vehicle, I believe. I don't know if it was that exact one or not. I don't know if they have more than one. Um, and then here, the uh, next picture is an aerial view, probably from one of the satellite imagery uh, services of the uh, Salmon River in the approximate area where the Chinook crashed. And uh, let's see, uh, it was deployed here in firefighting efforts. The pilots were two young veterans. Our area is very wildfire prone, and we honor these fallen heroes and condolences to their families. And again, that's from Alan Wilson in Salmon, Idaho. And um, he was concerned about Nick. He said, where's Nick been? But uh, we uh, would let him know oh, that he was still still alive, still with us. It's just the last few weeks have been kind of a little bit different for for all of us, I think. Um, anyway, so that's a, that's a shame that um, the uh, the helicopter crashed. Not they didn't really, you know, have any uh, any ideas as far as why it crashed. I don't know if it was a, a mechanical failure or what. So well, the they're, they're pretty damn reliable aircraft. Uh, they've yeah. got more than one engine. Mm-hmm. Um, the you know, but firefighting is a hazardous uh, occupation. Uh, it's often unknown terrain. There's often poor visibility with the smoke. Um, you know, it's there are lots of factors. It could be it's a high threat environment. So, I guess the NTSB will be able to tell us eventually. But uh, 
very sad because they're they're doing a huge um, task for the community, uh, trying to keep those uh, forest fires, those wildfires down, protect people's property. So incredibly sad when uh, you get an aircraft going in. It is. By the way, uh, in the show notes, uh, this article uh, to which Alan um, pointed us uh, does have uh, some inf- information about a GoFundMe campaign to help out the uh, the families of these uh, young veterans that uh, uh, perished in this accident. So uh, if you want to uh, contribute, uh, all that information will be in the show notes for you. Okay, and uh, let's continue to move on here. Um, G. No, you know what? I'm going to skip G. I'm going to move on to um, H. G. G. will just pop up in another month or two, and then we can talk about it that time. Right. Mm-hmm. It'll come back. It'll come sure. back. It's a it's an evergreen. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like um, circular runways. Hmm. It's like circular runways. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You keep coming around. <laughs> That's true. Well, in the literal and <laughs> other sense. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's a circular argument, I guess. Uh, yes, um, let's see. Um, well, let's see. This is from uh, a couple of different sources. SpectrumNews1.com, uh, one of them. And then we're going to play some video from another news source. Let's talk about this uh, first, though. Um, a single engine airplane experienced engine trouble crash landed on the Riverside freeway, um, the 91 in Corona, California on Tuesday, triggering a fire from which the plane's occupants narrowly escaped unharmed. The forced landing involved the six seat Piper Cherokee PA 32 300. And it occurred at 1230 PM on the eastbound 91 at Lincoln Avenue, according to the federal aviation administration and the California highway patrol. The Cherokee was flying to Corona Municipal Airport when the pilot reported an engine issue, was unable to make the turn north toward the airfield, possibly due to a rapid loss of altitude, and opted to make an emergency landing straight ahead on the freeway. The Cherokee made contact with a Toyota Tundra pickup truck, causing unspecified minor damage, but did not injure the driver. Images captured on motorist dash cams, as well as Caltrans freeway cameras, showed the plane coming down hard and clipping a retaining wall, uh, wall, igniting a fire on board. Okay, I'm going to play this uh, pretty impressive video. And again, it's a dash cam video, except for the dash. In this case, the, the camera was pointed uh, aft, rear of the car. Um, and uh, so, uh, but it's a perfect angle to view this coming in for landing on the 91. They just reopened L.A. County. Oh, plane crashed. Right behind us. Yeah, so they probably just looked up in one of his screens. Like his rearview mirror or something. There's a plane crashing back there. Yeah, let's look at it again. Coming in, coming in. Okay, nice flare. Boom. Oh, a little hard. Both One of the wings came off. Oh, plane crashed. Right wing. And into the wall. It's the way he says, oh, plane plane crash. Right behind us. (laughs) He's in the middle of talking about something Uh, else and like, Nope, abrupt, uh, abrupt shift there. Uh, yeah, something yeah. about uh, Atlanta Air, or uh, LA Airport. Something, <laughs> something. I don't know what they were, they were talking about. Anyway, uh, let's see. I have uh, a picture of the aftermath of the crash, and the uh, local uh, Corona firefighters over there uh, doing their job and uh, putting out the fire. 
And as the, the article says uh, and states, the uh, it was a, a miracle that both the pilot and the passenger were able to get out of that airplane before it uh, caught on fire. And uh, and they didn't have any injuries, not a scratch. And yeah, well done to the drivers crazy. on the freeway as well. Thank yeah, you. yeah, they just kept on moving. You know, like okay. <laughs> well, the ones in front, but I'm thinking about the ones. I mean, that's a that was a busy highway right there. The ones behind, you know, paying attention and like, oh, yep, nope, probably shouldn't continue going forward. But at Southern California, they're used to the. I mean, like every few days they have one of these it seems <laughs> oh, an airplane landing yeah. on the highway out there. <laughs> Uh, crazy, huh? Yeah. yeah. But no, I'm glad so nice right. no one was injured. That's yeah. great. Yep. Very dramatic, very, though. Very dramatic. Yep. All right. And uh, that's going to do it for our news segment. Uh, I think that's a good timing um, for that segment. And because I know that our getting to know us segment, because we haven't been together for so long, is going to be on the long side. We'll get Steph to tell us quickly before she has to leave in a few mm-hmm. minutes uh what have you oh wait hang on i gotta do this first of course i gotta play our sound effect for getting to know us right here yes it's that time of the show where we get to know what has been happening with each of us since the last episode or two and uh, as i mentioned uh, steph how have you been have you been busy been quite busy actually so i'm not even sure i know i joined in last i recall did i do a show between that then and when i was was... moving my grandfather in and helping set up some stuff in his Uh, yeah you just hopped on the oshkosh for five minutes yeah that's right you guys were in oshkosh and i hopped on for a few moments just to say hi and then i continued watching from the, the chat room while i was working on getting everything set up so um yeah to make what could be a very long story rather short um We've got him uh, moved up here, and you know, as you can imagine, it uh, being quite a bit older, um, moving to an unfamiliar environment, and you know, not uh, being as physically fit as you once were. It's a little bit stressful in a lot of different ways. So, um, you know, been been trying to work through some of those challenges, um, you know, and having to do a lot of that, um, a fair amount. Um, solo because unfortunately my dad was also unwell during that time with the, uh, you know, the dreaded COVID, but, um, he's doing fine now, but certainly was not able to go into a assisted living facility for the, they had a 10 day rule on that. So I think today was the first day he was allowed back there, but, um, yeah, it just, it was, um, you know, just a lot of providing reassurances and being there and making sure that he's comfortable and had things he needs and making sure things get set up in his room and, meeting all the different staff and going through all that. So it's been taking up quite a bit of my time, but honestly, I'm, I'm happy to do that because I realized quite fortunate to, you know, have my grandfather still around and be able to spend some time with him, even right. if it is a bit stressful at times. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the bulk of what I've been doing after, after work uh, during the week. It's a <laughs> lot. It's a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, well, like I said, it's it's good, and I'm I'm grateful for that time, and I'll continue to do some of that. But I'm also grateful that my dad is feeling better and able to to help out again. Um, I don't know. There were probably two weekends in between there. Um, did some yeah, we kind of took. I took the week off, or we took the week off last week. Um, yeah. So yeah, we didn't have a show. Did some last flying, week. and then I actually, um, I had a I had a kind of free Saturday because there was. 
um, some additional pilot training occurring, not not me, but um, some other folks coming in who might be able to help us out with our uh, uh, with skydiving flying on the weekends. And so I actually did some jumps last weekend instead of flying. Oh, so that was nice. Oh, great. Got to join in on um, one guy. Uh, it was his 100th jump, so we organized uh, um, quite a bit of uh, – it's, it's always exciting when you have a kind of a milestone jump, you know, something that ends in a couple of zeros or more. Um, so I wanted to do something fun for him, and that turned out really well. And, um, yeah, Liz is kind enough to remind me that <laughs> crossed the 1,000-hour mark of flying as well this past weekend. Oh, yes. 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 thousand hours. Yes. Good job. Good job, Steph. Milestone for sure. Yep. So it's been, you know, it's still been kind of challenging weather wise. We just had this kind of summer pattern of okay in the morning or kind of low clouds and foggy in the morning and then clears up for like two hours and then it's back to thunderstorms. And it just depends on if you're lucky enough to be in the middle of one of those, those thunderstorms or if it's clear blue skies. So, but got a couple hours of flying in on Sunday and cross that thousand hour mark and keep going for the next thousand. Excellent. Congrats. And with that, I'm probably going to uh, bow out for just a little while. Hopefully it won't be too long. I'll keep you updated through the uh, the back channels um, as to how things are progressing and join back hopefully pretty soon. Okay. Can you put up um, a cardboard cutout of yourself for the frame yes. here for us? So we'll just think that you're just mesmerized just by frozen. all the things that we're let, saying. Just let Taco do the rest of the <laughs> Yeah, I'll let show. him in here. It's fine. <laughs> no, you can uh, you can take yourself out, not literally, uh, but out of the uh, video if you'd like. And then, uh, yeah, hopefully it'll be a nice short meeting. We're not expecting it, but uh, it'd be nice to you could uh, yeah. come back uh, after your after your call if you have a yeah, chance. Absolutely, I All will. Right. I will keep you posted. Excellent. Well, I'm glad you were able right. to join us for a bit. Anyway. Yep. Absolutely. I'll okay. Be back soon. All right. Bye. Bye. Okay. Uh, let's see, uh, Nick. And uh, we know that one of your uh, activities uh, uh, you're involved in uh, is the uh, the lawn bowling, uh, the, the bowls or whatever you, what, what's the term you use for that? <laughs> you, you got it right, bowling. Okay. Because I'm always afraid I'm going to say something kind of rude and I don't well, want to sound usually rude. Do, so. I know I usually do. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> what more can I say? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, so I think that, uh, the last time that you were on the show was, let's see, I did five thirty, kind of by myself and Liz and Liz and I did that. And then five thirty one yep. was our show, a live show at, uh, Oshkosh. So it must've been five twenty nine, uh, about three weeks ago or so, I believe. And you were getting, Close to uh, the finals for um, the bowls? Absolutely. I entered uh, lots of competitions, uh, but, you know, the the higher level competitions are played at, at county level. So um, I managed to get all the way through to uh, the final. Uh, called the unbadged singles. So you see the badges behind me. Um, when you've been recognized by your county uh, and played for them, uh, then um, you get a, a blazer badge. Well, you know, in the old days, uh, everyone pitched up for bowls wearing a blazer. doesn't happen so much nowadays. So, in fact, the badge is um, given to you in a little presentation uh, frame instead. But uh, I had my badge from Sussex because I used to play in Sussex. Um, and uh, then uh, I 
just getting to the final qualified me to get my badge for Surrey because I moved to a club that was in Surrey. Um, and uh, it's me um, at the finals, and uh, you can tell that the, the bloke who, <laughs> who won the uh, game gets that enormous cup. Uh, wow, look at the handles called on that the unbadged singles. So, <laughs> yeah, and I get the little cup. But uh, that was very nice. That's still a nice size cup there, Nick. Absolutely, yes. But I didn't even take it home with me. He looks a little more excited than you, though. Yeah, he does. I was happy enough but with my game, uh, but I I gave myself a mountain to climb, I'm afraid, by uh, not getting into the game until I was about 11 nil down. It's the first of 21 shots, so 11 nil down. It's nearly halfway there. Uh, so more than halfway there. So I fought back. Yeah, I know. It was <laughs> terrible. I fought back to 13-all, uh, uh, oh. but then I lost my momentum a little bit, and um, he got to 17. I was 15. So it was only a couple of shots adrift. Yeah. Uh, but then from 17, he drew for his all four bowls, smacking onto the jack really tight, Um uh, and and I was trying to uh, find a way into the head to uh, to cut the score down or uh, or perhaps you know even break it open, but I couldn't. Uh, and uh, so seventeen plus four makes twenty one, and he won the match. So I I, I played okay. Could have played better uh, at the beginning, and that would have, might have made a big difference. But uh, anyway, fact is I'm moving to another county next. Uh, season because I'm playing at a club that's in Hampshire, so uh, I you never know I may be able to get all three county badges. That would be kind of cool because uh, they they're not particularly easy to get. You've uh, you've got to play quite well. Now is this anyway, your choice that, my- uh, that you're moving around to all these different places, or are these pl- uh, people just kicking you out of their clubs? <laughs> <laughs> just wondering. <laughs> so I'm a little suspicious about this whole thing. <laughs> well, I, I used to play in Sussex. I played for two clubs in Sussex. Uh-huh. And uh, then when COVID came around and this club I was uh, playing at had a bit of a bust up over whether they were going to play that season uh-huh. or not when COVID started, I moved to a club that just happened to be in Surrey. thing is I live very close to the border of all three counties, so I don't have to move very far to get into a different county. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I have subsequently discovered a club that's much closer. Uh, it happens to be in Hampshire, so uh, oh. uh, that's that's fine. Anyway, that's that's the bowling. Um, still got a couple of competitions in I'm in. Hereford and Hampshire. Ah, there you go. Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, I've still got a couple of competitions. Uh, uh, I'm in, um, so could be some more silverware coming my way, but at sort of club level, not county level. Anyway, now do you pour your that. beer into uh, that thing, or do you you could reserve do if that you for had wine beer. and champagne yes. and that kind of thing? Yeah. Which I guess champagne Look, is wine. I, I've held the claret jug, so uh, you know the the, the golfing uh, open championship uh, claret jug that they present oh. at St Andrews. So uh-huh. I know about these things. You can huh. pour claret in that if you want. <laughs> sure. Why not? I didn't win it. I just happened to hold just it. Just hold it. Once. Oh, okay. oh, I yeah, see. Except that was enough. So um yeah, uh the the reason I was I missed the uh flies on my thighs episode mm-hmm. <laughs> was because um uh, I was off with uh the uh, four 
uh, instructors walk into a bar bunch. So you might remember I did a bit of a plain tail interview about four instructors who got together. Yes. And well, we got together again, uh, and um, I'm trying to find a photograph with us. In fact, as it turns out, there were like five of us. Oh, boy. So uh, <laughs> we got an extra instructor in the middle there, Jerry. But there's the four instructors that we previously had. This is, by the way, uh, our hangover cure, um, drinking Bloody Mary's uh, at a, a place called the Sandy Mount Club in uh, a village near the base where we all instructed at, uh, which used to be a bit of a dive, but is now quite an upmarket um, hotel. So very pleasant. Um, no, we were there um, to go to RAF Valley. So um, this was us visiting RAF Valley. Uh, and we met up with some of the students who were learning to fly there and had a few beers in the bar. Uh, this is the aircraft that they are flying. In fact, not quite. They've got an um, updated version. This is the Hawk. This is the aircraft that I used to instruct on. The Hawk T1, and it's there stuck up on a pole at the end of the uh, uh, runway near the entrance to the base. But the main reason we were there was to meet up with friends uh, in the area. That was us with uh, a few of the locals that we used to know well. Um, but the main reason that we were there, because it was the 40th anniversary of my friend and our friend, Captain uh, Nige. Um, he had an accident in a hawk, and uh, that bit of marshy swamp you can see is where he nearly died. He mm. um, he had a really bad crash uh, and um, was lucky to survive, and uh, he thought uh, on the 40th anniversary we'd go back and, uh, and take a look at the spot. And it just so happened there's a Texan trainer, RAF uh, trainer, at exactly the spot where uh, he lost control of the aircraft. Mm. Um, so anyway, it was uh, a very interesting um, thing to do, uh, and uh, hopefully it put to bed some of uh, the ghosts that have been chasing Nigel ever since then. But uh, it, more importantly, it was a, a lovely opportunity to see everybody and uh, and talk through, uh, you know, our lives together there. So that was uh, great fun. Thoroughly enjoyed that. Uh, uh, so that's kind of been me since uh, we uh, last met. And uh, the only really th other thing that's going on is we seem to be in, a, in quite a big heat wave at the moment. It uh, comes and goes. It's uh, uh, We get a lot of uh, overspill of hot air from the uh, European mainland, that seems to be bringing our temperatures up by to an uncomfortable level. It's hot, but more importantly, it's rather humid. So mm. I haven't enjoyed that particularly. But uh, other than that, uh, life's pretty damn good right now. Excellent. Well, I'm so glad that uh, the gang is back together here. Uh, oh, not yeah. all of us. Yeah, sadly, no recordings. We we didn't do. <laughs> oh, the, us, uh. us gang. Yeah, de definitely. That's been brilliant. But uh, uh, we didn't do any recordings at Valley. Uh -huh. It was uh, we we kept it kind of personal. And I see that uh, Nige is uh, kind of biting his tongue. Uh, he wants to say <laughs> something in this picture, but um, he can't. Well, he know. was the one that uh, brewed that for us, and we came out of breakfast to find that he was leaning against the bar with a bottle of vodka, going, 
uh, oh, that was all that was left of our kitty. You see, his Andy's got forty yeah. quid there, <laughs> so he's gone right. I'm going to get rid of the kitty because we'd mm-hmm. had a kitty the night before too. Do you do that in the states where you you will put money into a pot? I call it the kitty, and then you sort of use that to buy all the drinks for the night, and then. I no, I've never experienced that. I mean, we do identify with the term the kitty, um, and I'm sure that probably some groups do that, but I've never, I've never experienced or uh, experienced that myself. How about you? Oh, it, it's uh, a fairly regular thing for us yeah. to. Uh, okay. If you're going to go out drinking, rather yeah. than trying to work out whose turn it is to buy around, and of course you shift around and the yeah. Prices vary. You all just throw some money just, into yeah. the pot, and a good one idea. bloke buys the round the drinks all night using the kitty. And when the kitty runs out, you throw some more money in. What if it uh, doesn't run out and there's money left in the kitty? You just well, uh, that's exactly what happened. He had forty <laughs> quid left, so he said, "Right, I'm going to get you all around a Bloody Marys, uh, okay. which we had for breakfast." <laughs> Very good. Yeah, good use of the kitty money. Absolutely, yes. All right, great. Uh, Nick Camacho. Um, I know it's been a busy, busy several weeks uh, for you. Been doing a lot of traveling, and uh, I'll let you take over and tell us where where you've been traveling. Uh, yeah, I, or if you uh, want to start with something else too, I don't know. Maybe you've had people. No, I was trying to think about the last time, time I was on the show that wasn't the Oshkosh show, and I mm-hmm. think it may have been uh, four, three or four shows ago. Um, yeah, so I uh, I traveled uh, to California. I had to deal with some family stuff, so uh, ran out to uh, my standard little place, San Luis Obispo. Uh, I was out there for um, I don't know five days, I think five or six days, uh, and then flew directly from San Luis Obispo to Appleton, which is the neighboring little regional airport to Oshkosh. Um, so that was my, the first time I have ever flown into Oshkosh commercially. Uh, I've driven in a bunch and I've flown in, in airplanes that are not commercial airplanes a bunch, but that was uh, number one of 21, um, appearances that I've flown in on the airlines. Uh, got to, uh, be in Oshkosh for six days, hung out a lot with Jeff, um, met the C-47 there, uh, we did some flying. I, let's see, I didn't do any flying on Tuesday. And then uh, we flew the airplane uh, Thursday for a fo- photo flight and Friday in the show. And I got to fly those flights. And then uh, from there, we traveled down to Gardner, which is a small little airport just outside of Kansas City, on the west side of Kansas City. Uh, that's actually where my brother's based. So we uh, spent the night with him. We had a little function where we showed our documentary. Uh, to their EAA chapter there. And then we uh, went on from there to Wichita. I got to spend one night at home, but it really didn't feel like it because it was uh, January 31st and we had a inspection, <clears throat> an inspection that was due at the end of January. I mean, July? Which I'm sorry, July. Yeah, it was July 31st. We had an inspection that had to be done before August 1st. Mm-hmm. So uh, Shane and I spent the evening opening up the airplane and completing that inspection it was just a service check, so it was just like a visual. It's basically like an in-depth pre-flight. Uh, so we looked everything over. Uh, everything looked good. And then uh, flew the airplane from Wichita to Paso Robles uh, the following day, August 1st. 
Uh, once I was out there, I spent another week and a half in California for work. I uh, got to do a few fun things, but also a lot of work. And finally got home last night at 10 o'clock from being gone for, I guess, about three three weeks or three and a half weeks. So it's been a... Uh, been a long, long three and a half weeks for me, and also a long three and a half weeks for my wife, who's been dealing with my children solo. <laughs> oh, bless her heart. <laughs> that's a lot of work. That's hard work. Yeah. Yep. Hey. And I showed up just in time for uh, school to start today. So now they're out of the house. Oh, good for you. <laughs> good good um, timing. Yeah, really good timing. Hey, so uh, before all of this occurred. Um, did you, uh, meet up with a, uh, a celebrity host from a, another podcast? Oh yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, um, man, <laughs> it's yeah, been a so while. Armand, it has been a while. So <laughs> Armando was in Wichita for like two or three weeks going through training on the Hawker. Um, I don't even remember. We met on a, <laughs> we met on a Sunday morning and I don't even remember uh, what day it was. Let me look at my little calendar here. It must have been like maybe July 16th. Yeah, it would have had to have been yeah. July 16th. So I met up with Armando. We had breakfast and drove around the airport and chatted and um, got to know him. He's super awesome. And uh, he has some aviation-related uh, life changes happening soon. That I don't remember. I think he mentioned it on the last show. I don't remember if I listened to their most recent show or not. But about them buying a, an airplane. Um, yes. Yep. Yeah. I think so he on their last show they they talked. He talked about. Okay. It. Yeah. Yeah. So he yeah him and his wife are buying an airplane. I think for her to learn to fly in. Mm-hmm. She was. Uh, it was funny because he was talking about how uh, she hadn't been super interested in it, and then took a ride in the Steerman, and all of a sudden got really excited about it. And she was actually taking her second ride in the Steerman while we were together, while we were having breakfast. So oh. that was cool. And then she called him afterwards. Um, and said, so, yeah, brilliant. let's do this. Yeah. She was like, I'm in. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's a chance. I don't know. I don't know what his plan is, but I, I think there's a chance that I might be able to see him again soon. Um, based on his, uh, airplane, his little airplane that he's buying. So we'll see if it works out. So let me get this right. She was in a, uh, Steerman at Steerman field. No, no, no. She was at home. Oh, uh, she was in North uh, Carolina. So oh, she was, okay. Ah, she, yeah, she, she was, was over there with North you guys. Carolina, and then we ah, were at Stearman Field. I got yeah, you. Correct. Okay. Correct. All right. So traded, traded DC three stories and mm-hmm. uh, had a lot of fun. Showed him my airplanes. He wanted to know about owning old airplanes, and I was like, man, if there's uh, if there's one thing that I can share with you, it's like mistakes you could make owning old airplanes. Cause I've made a lot of them. <laughs> you got to be really careful about that feather pump, right? <laughs> I've got a whole, Oh yeah. That's oh, that's another story that I guess I could touch on. Yeah. So we had a, um, I think I, I think I sort of explained it, um, when it happened, but we had an issue with the feathering system on the C 47 when we were flying out to the East coast like two months ago. And so, uh, we got a feather pump, shipped to the airplane and we were carrying a feather pump with the airplane everywhere we went. And then, um, but the feathering pump was working, seemed to be working or not, didn't seem to be working. It was working. We do a feather check every flight, uh, as part of the run-up and you check the, you know, the current draw to ensure that the feather, that the 
pump is running and drawing current, and then you, you're also watching RPM, so you know that it's physically working because it's changing the pitch of the blades and slowing the blades down. Now, um, we don't we don't have uh, Miami Rick with us uh, to explain all the intricate details of a feathering system, but just for uh, a quick uh, down and dirty for those who are listening right now that may not understand what a feathering system or a feathering pump oh, yeah. is – um, I'm going to let you, you want me to hit that. on it. Yeah. yeah, I'm, yeah. Not, I'm not going to do so, it. So <laughs> on a, yeah, on a multi-engine airplane, um, when you lose power on an engine and the, and that propeller, that propeller is windmilling, it is creating an enormous amount of drag. And so what, what you do is you turn the blades. If you imagine looking down the propeller arc, when it's running, those blades are nearly flat. So they look almost like a saucer. Um, and so what you do if you lose, the, if the engine dies, what you want to do is turn those blades basically 90 degrees so they're streamlined with the wind. And so that does two things. The, the frontal profile is much less, but then that also stops the blade from windmilling. And if the, you know, if the blade is moving at all, it's creating a lot more drag. So by feathering it, you really decrease the frontal area and you also get it to stop. And so it's gotcha. a lot less drag. Okay. In little airplanes, basically the way that system usually works is the uh, propeller mechanism is spring-loaded to the feather state or the the um, streamlined to the air state, mm-hmm. and then you use oil pressure to move it out of that state. So uh. it's it's like a one-way, um, it's it's spring-loaded, and it's like a one-way oil pressure thing. The C forty sevens they do that because if you have a failure and you lose all the oil pressure, the fail-safe is to feather that prop. Okay. The C-47 is a little weird because it has what's called a double-acting piston system. So it uses oil pressure on both sides. Mm -hmm. So rather than have a spring, we have like a separate pump in the wheel well that puts high-pressure oil on one side of the hub or the other side of the hub. So we can actually put the propeller into feather electrically with the pump and then feather it. And then we can also kick it out of feather back into flight mode, basically, back into the area where it needs Mm -hmm. to be turned. Um. So all of that is to say the feather the feathering system is very critical mm-hmm. on a multi-engine airplane because if you can't get it to feather you're generally you're generally throwing all of your single engine performance data out the window and a lot of times uh the airplane won't even be able to per- perform if you're running a windmilling propeller. Gotcha. Um so we check it every time we do a run up, right? You do a run up and we'll check the mags and we'll check check power on the engine then power on the engines and then we'll also check the feathering pumps to ensure that they're working. And uh, we flew this whole trip and, you know, we're doing run-ups every day we're flying and everything's good. And um, <clears throat> we get to Paso Robles, our home base, and we land and uh, we shut the left engine off and we were going to do a, a check on this feathering pump with hot oil. So I hopped out of the airplane and we hit it and it is dead. It is deader than a doornail. Um, Lord. It worked during the run-up, so we had no indication that it was dead. And I'm, I still haven't thought through all the, the different ways that, they, that that thing works and is loaded, so I'm not sure that it maybe with the engine not turning had something to do with it. I don't mm-hmm. think it did, but the moral of the story is like we made it all the way home just in the nick of time because we would have had to swap that feather pump out on the road, which would have been doable, but yeah. annoying. So, uh, so yeah, swapped it out this weekend and then, uh, they're gonna 
swapped it out this past weekend, three or four days ago, and then they'll run the airplane this weekend and do all the ops checks and make sure it all checks out. As a matter of fact, so it was the pump that was in the wheel well that was the problem, was it, Nick? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. And if I go over here and how do I show an overlay? Oh, I just click on it. Yeah. Here is that pump um, that I just finished changing. <clears throat> it's kind of hard to tell what my orientation is, but if you look below my elbow at that like bright light right there, Mm-hmm. Um, that's the bottom of the wheel well. So right now I'm standing on the tire with my head up into the wheel well, and then my finger is pointing up at that pump. So that would gotcha. not be a good place to stand if you're um, just taking off and they put the gear up. That's true. If you could run fast oh, yeah, enough to really stay on the tire, I would say you're playing with house money at that point. Well, they're pretty slow, so you could probably do it. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Um. Yeah, so uh, I'll, I guess I'll show all my pictures here real quick. While I'm okay. I met so this is Bruce. I met Bruce. Walked up to the airplane, big APG fan, fellow Bonanza pilot. So we had a ton of stuff to talk about. Uh, he wanted me to tell stuff that he loves the caravan. Um, I think if I have my notes correct, if I have my notes correct, um, he worked at Lockheed and retired as an engineer the last couple of years, and is now flying freight in caravans um, as a retired you know, professional engineer. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty cool. That is cool. Uh, I asked him about the sky courier, which is the, um, the new twin engine airplane that Cessna's mm-hmm. building for FedEx. Um, and he didn't seem too optimistic that the timeline would work out for him. Oh, um, okay. Which is a bummer. Uh, I mentioned a couple of, uh, photo flights we did. So here's a picture from our five ship. Well, these are both these pictures are from the same flight, but we got up, early Thursday morning of Oshkosh and went out and did this uh, big five ship photo flight. That is um, a lovely formation, Nick. Yeah, it was or, pretty or cool. Or was he just a very good photographer who captured the exact I, moment that you had to be passing through? I, I think he, <laughs> I think we had our moments and we didn't have our moments. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's a couple of, uh, there's a, a couple of good pictures came out of it. So, the, you know, the picture I'm showing is basically three, uh, Normandy invasion schemed airplanes and then uh, late Air Force DC-3 schemed airplane and then Miss Montana, which is actually a smoke jumper airplane. Uh, five DC-3s in, in a right echelon formation. Brilliant. And then we also got a couple with just the invasion airplanes. Oh, nice. The only gripe was uh, we had a 6 a.m. briefing for this uh, flight and it was on Thursday, so they scheduled that f- briefing um, the morning after you know, the not night even show. not even eight hours after the <laughs> night show ended, so there were a few grumpy pilots, but we made it all through it. You know um, what? I have to admit something to you, Nick. Um, when you because Nick invited me to go on this flight, and you said something about a photo mission, and I, in my mind, what that meant was that you were going to go in your DC three or C forty seven and take pictures of stuff on the ground. So I wasn't thinking, oh, no, we're going to be, our airplane is going to have pictures taken of it in formation flying. I, this is completely different than what I had envisioned when you invited me to get up at four o'clock in the morning or whatever it was to join you on this flight. So now that I know what it actually was, I'm thinking I I should have just uh, sucked it up and, and uh, had a short night's sleep as well and 
been on this flight, but oh well, I'll know. Ne- I'll know better next time. Yeah, you could have been one of the faces at the window. I know, right? Yeah. Anyway, be so cool. So I really, I, I, I thought it was something completely different that you were inviting me to go to. <laughs> oh well, hindsight is twenty twenty. Uh, you're muted, um, Camacho. Sorry about that. Yeah, uh, I got a couple of pictures flying home to Kansas. This is uh, me and my dad. Oh, nice. oh brilliant! In the airplane. Um, so that's always fun. You know, I think I've told my backstory on here before, but I uh, um, grew up flying in DC threes with Dad, uh, and he's actually a type rated, a captain rated pilot in the airplane. So uh, for all this, for all the stuff that I get to do and uh, you know talk about to him. Whenever I get him up there in the seat with me, I'm still the junior person up there. <laughs> you know what? Inter- I, I didn't know there. that he was uh, captain rated and pilot yeah. rated in that airplane. I, did, I thought yep. it was just the uh, uh, just a mechanic just role, a maintenance guy. Nope. Maintenance, yeah. Wow, I just learned something new. Yeah. So that's. Uh... Yep. So that was fun flying home, and then the last picture I have is from hmm, only about 24 hours ago. When uh, we were talking on Twitter and I um, got into a conversation with this uh, certain young gentleman who happened to be out in San Luis Obispo with me. This is uh, Lieutenant Colonel Jeff. I could never remember. I was trying to think about it yesterday. I couldn't remember if he was called the good looking Captain Jeff or the better looking Captain Jeff. Because neither of those used, are good for you, but I, one of them is worse. I've, I've used both uh, to, to okay. uh, describe Jeff. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, so he, uh, he flies for a 135 company and, uh, was picking up a jet out of a maintenance facility there in slow. And he said, Hey, I'm here. And I said, Hey, let's, uh, and try to meet up. And so we were able to grab lunch and chat for about an hour. And that was a lot of fun. Well, all I have to say is slow. That's so appropriate for uh, Colonel Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> As far uh, as his brain is concerned, not the yeah, jet he flies. Yeah. The jet he flies is a very fast jet, and yeah. not quite as fast as the jets he used to fly in the Air Force, the F-15. Yep. That's cool. I'm glad you got a chance to get together with uh, Colonel Jeff, the the good looking Captain Jeff. Yep. All right. Well, there was a lot of stuff there. I'm glad that we uh, got all caught up with you. Uh, are you going to be home now for a while, uh, Nick? I think so. I think the next thing on the horizon for me, uh, which is still kind of up in the air is, uh, the air races out in Reno. Oh, um, the C 47 has been invited. There's a big, uh, you're going to vintage the C 47. No, no, no. I would <laughs> love to. So, That'll be so the thing is our chief pilot, our chief pilot flies a race plane. Sure. Well, you know, Sherman, yeah. Sherman yeah. flies a race plane, uh, and you better believe he would take the C-47 around the sticks in a heartbeat <laughs> if he got the chance. Um, but he, they're, they're kind of bringing his uh, race plane out of retirement this year, and he's going to oh. fly it one more time. Um, so we got to talking about that. And then when we went to Dayton and the Smithsonian, there's a, uh, I think it's called the Rolls-Royce Heritage Invitational or something like that. But there's a, there's a basically a show plane aspect of the, air races now where they invite, you know, 15 or 20 really nice old airplanes. Uh, it makes me wonder what, ha- what happened with ours, but they ask us to come and, and display our airplane. So, 
uh, I think we're going to try to fly the C-47 out there. Um, I think it was like Wednesday to Sunday. And, uh, and if I can get my family, you know, get, uh, get everything around the house going forward well and, and get everything on the right track, I'm, I might try to zip back out to California, but we'll see. It'll, yeah. it'll be a last minute call. Uh, Craig Messerson, do you file flight plans or use flight following on your long cross country in the C-47? We, uh, almost always use flight following. I think we did not use flight following on one leg coming home, but we almost always use flight following. Uh, don't tell RH and AG, but we never file VFR flight plans. Uh, if we are doing IFR work, obviously we're filing flight plans for that, but um, no VFR flight plans, which I'm sure is going to disappoint them. Um, yeah, but that's kind of a high-profile airplane that you're flying around. Probably a lot of people know, you know, when you're going yeah. somewhere and when you're supposed to be getting somewhere and that kind of thing, right? Right. Yeah. But they they say, you know, you know, their deal is that the VFR flight plan is for like the last five minutes mm-hmm. from the end of the runway back or something. Oh. Um, what do they know I about air traffic control? I will tell you, I don't know if I've ever told my flight, I don't know if I've ever told my flight plan story, but um, I stopped filing flight plans once I got an airplane I could do flight following in because um, my dad always used to make me file VFR flight plans. And so I got my pilot's license in the Luscombe and then I went back to school or my pilot certificate in the Luscombe. I don't want to upset anybody there. And I went back to school and didn't fly at all. I came home and... uh, I flew a whole bunch for one summer, but still didn't have a lot of like cross country time. And so when I was going to fly the airplane out to California, I came back to Kansas and I was going to fly the airplane from Kansas to Oshkosh and then back to Kansas and then out to California. And, um, first leg, I filed my flight plan. I, because I don't have a transponder, I have only have a handheld. I can't really reach anybody. You know, I call them and open it on the ground so I take off and here I am in the Luscombe buzzing, buzzing away towards, uh, I think Pella, Iowa was my first stop. And I expected it to be you know, like 3.9 hours or something, not quite four hours. Well, I ended up getting a little nervous as I got close to the class B of Kansas city. So I deviated probably a little farther than I needed to. Um, and I had a little bit more of a headwind than I was anticipating, which wouldn't be a big deal, except that I was only going hundred miles an hour to start with. So when you slow down, it's got a lot more impact on you when you're flying for four hours, right? Mm-hmm. So I land, I got to go to the bathroom real bad. Um, I land, I see a, uh, I see a phone number uh, on my phone and I'm like, oh, I'll deal with that in a minute. So I taxi up to the pumps and I ran and go to the bathroom. I come back, I call uh, flight service, who is who you close your flight plan with. Um, I think Lockheed had taken it over by that time. You know, so I called and I said, Hey, this is Luscombe such and such. And I landed and you can close my flight plan. And, uh, about three or four minutes later, I got another phone call and I answered it and they were like, hi, this is, you know, Lockheed flight services or whatever they called themselves. And I was like, Oh yeah, sorry about that. I, I just called and closed my flight plan with someone else just like two minutes ago. And they were like, Oh yeah, we know. I just wanted to let you know that, uh, because you were late, we wanted to. We went ahead and called the phone number on your flight plan, and you probably need to call them. <laughs> oh, they <laughs> so might be I'm worried. Like, oh no! Yeah, so 
So I hang up and it's my parents. Mm -hmm. So I hang up and I call my mom and she's crying. And of course she thinks something horrible has happened. (laughs) And ever since that day, I I try to not use flight plans, but I have, I have lots of other equipment, right? I use a in Garmin inReach that like pings little tracking points and I use flight following and I try to be proactive about it. It's just, I had a really bad experience with a flight mm-hmm. plan. <laughs> yeah, I can I can kind of understand. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, good question. Thank you, Craig. Craig is one of those folks, uh, one of our listeners that uh, I met up with, uh, hung out with uh, for quite a bit, um, at least uh, the first day or two uh, that the uh, Air Venture opened up. And um, yeah. Oh, he brought me some beer too, some uh, spotted cow. Um, yeah, so thank you for that, Craig. Appreciate that. Um, let's see. So I guess anything else, uh, Nick Camacho or, uh, may I, I think that's it. Yeah. Go for it. Try to do this as quickly as I can. A lot of stuff. Um, yeah, we did, uh, our show, uh, I guess it was, um, the one before flies on my thighs <laughs> and, um, and then uh, we set off, or I set off, uh, for the the grand road trip in my Honda Accord, and uh, loaded up that thing. I mean, it was packed to the gills with a with a new tent and um, uh, associated um, supplies for camping, uh, tent camping, and all my podcasting gear, including my powered monitors and oh yeah, and a new brand new Honda generator, very, very lightly used. I've started it once and, uh, at the house here before I left just to make sure that it was running and I knew how to work it, uh, because I thought that maybe, well, I wasn't sure exactly where we were going to be, uh, doing, uh, our live show. If we were even going to do a live show at Oshkosh, we'd, we'd hoped that we would. Um, so I had the, uh, the new Honda generator in my Honda trunk and all the other, uh, you know, podcasting and camping related stuff headed off for my journey up to, uh, Oshkosh. Uh, first night, uh, I spent in uh, Paducah. I wish I'd taken pictures of all this. I did do a, um, a video recording for, um, our patrons. Um, but, uh, I don't think I took any at all, uh, any stills of Paducah, uh, Kentucky, but that was day one. I uh, found a little boutique hotel called the 1857 in downtown Paducah. I was expecting Paducah not to be a huge city, but bigger town than what it was or what it is on the Ohio River there. But it was pretty. Uh, next day, set off, uh, went over the uh, Ohio River into Illinois and spent most of that day in Illinois. I stopped. Uh, I think I do have some... Um, uh, pictures here that I can show you, um, regarding, nope, that wasn't in, I wasn't in an airplane on, in Corona, California. Uh, I stopped in uh, Champaign, Illinois, um, in Northern Illinois and, uh, at a place that Dr. Steph, uh, introduced Captain Nick and I to, and we went to one of these locations, not this one, but one just like it, uh, back in 2019, when we did the big road trip up to uh, Chicago, and then uh, finally the RV to uh, to Oshkosh, that's as a Portillos, and um, so I I shared that with my crew and let them know that I was enjoying a Chicago dog. There's a picture of it there with uh, their really good French fries, and then uh, continued up to uh, Whitewater, 
Wisconsin, which is a little town to the east, southeast of uh, Madison, Wisconsin, and um, and this bed and breakfast called Hamilton House, which was uh, really fun and interesting. I was the only occupant of the uh, bed and breakfast, a little bit of the slow season right now, I guess. Uh, supposedly, uh, this was a, at times a um, fraternity and sorority house for the uh, University of Wisconsin at Whitewater. And um, according to the host of the uh, Hamilton House Bed and Breakfast, uh, John Belushi um, was uh, either a pledge or a member of the fraternity that was occupying this house. And supposedly he had uh, driven his motorcycle up the stairs staircase of this place. Not sure that's true, but it, it's kind of a cool story. Um, next morning, of course, you know, I had, I had the bed up there in the upper right-hand corner there. That was my room up there. Um, really nice. Um, and of course, breakfast because it's a bed and breakfast. And uh, that, this is the, the appetizer course, I guess, for the breakfast. <laughs> a nice um, strawberry uh, yogurt parfait and a right out of the oven uh, cooked a little uh, cake like a cupcake uh, freshly squeezed orange juice and uh, and water and the coffee was excellent and uh, then she brought out the main course which is these this heavenly light uh, scrambled eggs and uh, french toast and uh, bacon that was just amazing uh, it was an amazing bread i said if you don't mind me asking, this is like one of the best meals I've had in quite some time. Are, are you like a professionally trained chef? And I was only half kidding. And she said, uh, yes, the uh, Culinary Institute in Hyde Park, New York. And I went, oh, okay. That uh, makes sense. So it was an outstanding breakfast that I had there. And then the next day, a nice short under two hour drive up to Oshkosh and uh, Whitman Field and uh, Air Venture, that's a picture of the um, campground registration uh, area with all the nice little flags flying, EAA and uh, the Wisconsin state flag, of course, uh, the U.S. flag and more. I don't know what all the all the other flags are. Anyway, um, got, got settled into the campground and popped up the tent and uh, there it is there um, in my little spot in uh, Camp Bacon. And, uh, so that was a nice, I, I decided that it would be kind of nice to be under some shade trees, some uh, hickory and oak trees, um, you know, very large trees. Um, turns out that, um, uh, the, well, let's see, let me look at my slides here and see how these are going. Um, the, uh, a couple of days later, uh, we had a severe storm system come through Saturday night and, uh, a huge branch, almost like one of the trunks of one of these, uh, large trunks from one of these trees fell down, uh, that little car right behind my white Honda Accord. Um, it, it fell over and that car wasn't there at the time, thankfully, uh, fell, uh, right there. I, ha I have some, uh, some slides of that as well. That I'll, we'll look at here in a minute, but anyway, on Friday I met up with, um, well, okay. Let me think. I should have probably written this down. Uh, Chris Ott is a listener to the show. I met up with Chris um, back in about four years ago in Madison. He drove from the uh, uh, Oshkosh area to Madison to meet up with me. And um, 
he said, Hey Jeff, um, I know that you're going to be up here for, you know, a week and a half or whatever. And, uh, the, uh, I'm, I'm part of this group of people, uh, at, uh, central County airport, uh, just outside of Iola, Wisconsin, that, uh, meet up every Friday for lunch, um, like a lunch club fly-in kind of thing. And, uh, they meet every single Friday of the year, except two religious holidays, one of them Christmas and the other Oshkosh. See what I did there? Religious holiday. <laughs> um, and, uh, but this was the Friday before Oshkosh began. And he said, you know, why don't you drive up here and, um, you know, I'll, I'll treat you to lunch. And I went, okay, great. So I went up there and, uh, we watched all these airplanes come in. It was like 30 something airplanes that flew in, most of them tail draggers with the big tires. And, but there were some other, uh, you know, regular, uh, high wing Cessnas and, um, uh, Piper, uh, Cherokees and that kind of thing that landed there. Grass field, um, with several different runway orientations and, uh, got to meet some of, uh, Chris's friends and, uh, then uh, I started – oh, I had agreed to uh, be a guest on the Plane Talking UK podcast uh, later that day, uh, which would have been 1 o'clock uh, local time, central time. And I was uh, concerned about having enough of an internet connection to uh, be on their show. Uh, so uh, we decided that it might be a better thing to go over to uh, Chris – Chris's hangar, where he hangers his uh, Beechcraft Sundowner in um, Clintonville, Wisconsin, and about a half an hour drive from where we were in uh, Iola. And uh, so we went over there and I did a test on bandwidth uh, from cellular towers. That was no good. And then I thought, hey, I have my Starlink uh, dish in my trunk. Um, of the car. So maybe I can find a place uh, with no obstructions and point it up at the sky and maybe get a good enough internet to, uh, to be on that, uh, on their show. So I did that and, uh, it worked out great. It was the first test of my Starlink dish, uh, system, um, in, you know, being, uh, doing live streaming. So that worked out well. So thank you, Chris, for, uh, being my host and, uh, buying my, double cheeseburger from Culver's, uh, while I got all set up in your hangar. That was a lot of fun. And then, uh, I headed back down to Oshkosh and met up with, uh, Hillel, uh, that evening. Oh, uh, th- I just wanted to show this quick slide here. Um, I, I was walking along, um, uh, what's the name of the, the main drag in, uh, Camp Scholar shake, I think, um, drive. And I spotted this uh, vehicle, this camper, this uh, recreational vehicle, I guess. But it, it's, I think it's made in Germany and it's built on a, it looks like a, some kind of a military um, vehicle, um, all-wheel, all-terrain, all-everything uh, kind of a vehicle that I thought, uh, Miami Rick, this would be perfect for, for him if he ever got a, um, a camper, a recreational vehicle. Pretty cool. I'm sure some people probably know what the heck this thing is called. But, um, anyway, uh, this is, uh, some pictures of the inside of the, um, uh, central County airport in Iola. Uh, apparently one of their members was, I believe a navigator. I'm not sure he was, it was one of the crew members, a radio operator or a navigator on, uh, the Boeing 314, one of my favorite airplanes as captain Nick knows. 
Um, and he did a wonderful plain tale uh, about the, uh, what was it called? The long way around or the, the wrong way around or something like that. And there was a book written about it too. The, uh, uh, oh, Nick is gone, so he can't chime in. Anyway, um, great book uh, written called, uh, again, I think it's called The, the Long Way the long way around or something like that. Uh, when, uh, the, one of their, uh, the Pan Am, uh, Clippers was, uh, outside of, um, Hawaii heading South, uh, when Pearl Harbor was attacked and he pulled out a special instruction that he always carried with him in his uniform jacket that, uh, told them that, okay, well, we got to have the airplane back in, uh, at LaGuardia in New York. Uh, but you can't go the way you came. You have to keep going around the globe. Uh, the other, all the way around the other world. It's a great book, and uh, I'll try to rec- remember uh, to put the uh, a link to that uh, to that book in the in the show notes. And again, if you wanted just a a short version of the story, um, the plain tale, and I don't remember the uh, the name of the plain tale. Maybe Liz can uh, find that out while I'm talking, and uh, we can tell you uh, the the plain tale title that uh, talked about this um, this amazing venture. Um, anyway, some pictures of that in the, uh, in the hangar slash clubhouse kitchen area of the central County airport. Uh, unfortunately I didn't get to have any of their grilled pork chops because we left early to get set up in, uh, Chris's hangar for, uh, being on PTUK, uh, episode 420. Anyway, if it's uh, the one about the uh, clipper that went round the world. Yes. I think it was called the long way, round. long way around, long way around. It was okay. Yeah, yeah like so I, I was fascinated. Um, that that story I'd never heard of, and then when you did the plane tale, Nick, um, I, I went, "Wow, I need to find out more information about this." So that's when I bought the book that one uh, oh, a, a radio operator had uh, written. He wasn't part of this actual crew, but um, he was working for Pan Am. A little shortly after this happened, and uh, had all the uh, uh, the details and interviews and everything else of the crew that were still you know alive at the time. Cool, an amazing story. So I was just fascinated by all these uh, all this um, uh, memorabilia Be- and beautiful airplanes. Yeah. So anyway, so that's uh, where they eat, and uh, right behind is where the buffet line is for the. Uh, oh, <laughs> I wasn't even close. No uh, distant lands. No distant just- lands. Episode uh, 285. There you go. Thank you, Liz. Okay. And uh, later that evening, I went back to Oshkosh and uh, Hillel had flown in, I think the day before uh, or maybe earlier that morning. And uh, so we met up and uh, went to Wentz on the Lake, I believe was the name of the restaurant. Uh, Local fried uh, lake perch is their specialty uh, place um, and uh, enjoyed that meal with, uh, our good friend Hillel. And, uh, oh, so the next night we were at, um, the something garage starts with a P I've, I'm, I'm already forgetting all these names. <laughs> anyway, it was a local restaurant, uh, bar and grill, uh, a group of us, uh, uh, from, uh, APG, APGers, uh, we got together there. And while we were there, this, uh, storm front came through and when I got back to my campsite, um, basically where I'm standing taking this picture was about where my car was when, in that first photograph of uh, the car in the tent. And I noticed there were some flashing lights and a lot of commotion going on. I'm thinking, what's going on here? And they said, yeah, this uh, this big giant uh, tree branch fell down 
And that tent that you see um, to the right was actually underneath this, and the guy was the owner of the tent was pulling it out, and and uh, it it survived without a problem. He wasn't there at the time; he was at a brew pub or something. Uh, but his car uh, took the brunt of the uh, impact, and the whole front of his car was kind of crushed by this uh, this big tree branch. But it was only <laughs> like I'd say maybe twenty five feet from where my tent was pitched. So I, uh, I was lucky. Wow. And, uh, oh, here's my media credentials. I'm uh, Jeff Nielsen, airline pilot guy, podcase. Um, <laughs> I'm back, but I'm just going to join in and say that sounds somehow appropriate. We're all a bunch of podcasts. <laughs> well, yeah. I, you know what? That's APG syndrome. You're a podcase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some kind of a case. Anyway, the guy goes, oh, do you want me to like redo that and put podcasts? I said, no, nobody's going to look at it anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, uh, here's uh, the Boeing, uh, what do they call that? The Boeing Square or Boeing? Plaza. Uh, Plaza, that's it. Thank you. Uh, uh, Delta, uh, Ac- uh, sister airline of Acme, had a, one of their A330-900 Neos there. And a um, bunch of um, Delta pilots who think they're really something. Uh, and they have huge heads and uh, think more of themselves than they probably should over uh, there on that uh, stairwell there. Um, and then uh, right in front of the uh, the Delta jet is a 777, the tail end of a 777 Boeing. Um, it uses it as a test bed or something like that, test various things. So there's uh, Craig. Uh, I don't know if Craig is still with us in the uh, live audience, but uh, we were hanging out that day and uh, – Craig noticed uh, the back end of this uh, brand new A330 900 Neo um, was was uh, leaking some kind There's of fluid. Yeah, it was leakage uh, from the tail. Ooh, that's never a good sign. Uh, but uh, I figured it was hydraulic fluid, Skydrol or something coming out. Oh, and then uh, I, I revealed my uh, new company, uh, Acme Aero, uh, and introduced our new airplane there at the show. Nice. Yeah, like that. And then uh, Laura Davis um, brought with her some beer, yeah, Diabolical India Pale Ale from Traverse City, uh, Michigan. I believe it was Laura that gave me this, a six-pack of that. What is that animal? Is it a rabbit with antlers? Yeah, probably a jackalope, I'm <laughs> guessing. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 it was good beer. And, uh, oh, got- yeah, it looks like you've been enjoying a few. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Uh, so there were some <laughs> listeners who came by and uh, props and hops on uh, Monday night, the the first day of the show, a big gathering of um, folks and uh, they give you uh, free beer and free food. So, of course, you know, we're pilots. We Got to hang out there. Uh, here's a picture of uh, uh, Nick Camacho, um, his back, wearing his D-Day <laughs> um t-shirt and he's taking pictures of um his uh his airplane back there in uh formation and uh, here's another one and another one i just want to get a picture of nick taking a picture of his uh (laughs) betsy's biscuit bomber that was a lot of fun and uh then on wednesday we were able to and uh, thank you uh to hillel Uh, he actually took some time out of the bathroom to coordinate uh with uh Dick Kapinski um, of the uh, media group at uh, uh, EAA uh, to uh, use their briefing room for episode 531, our live show. And that was uh, before we started. That's Hillel 
uh, helping to set up and um, get things together. And it was just, uh, just some of the people that were there before uh, we started the show. And I thought it was a pretty good turnout. Don't you, Nick Camacho, man? Um, and, uh, there's Hillel, of course, you know, (laughs) typical in the bathroom, um, just poking his head out, um, for a moment just to let us know that he was there and ready to, uh, to do his part in the show. Solid effort by him though, for still finding a bathroom that had running water. Yeah. On the ground. That is a trick. That is a trick. Good work. It's a fancy porta potty there. Yeah. It's nice to see him in the men's (laughs) for a change as well. Yeah. Well, he, he screwed up because the uh, right next door, that's the, uh, the the door to the women's side of the thing. Anyway, uh, we also on Thursday, uh, again, Hillel uh, coordinated this. You know, we, we did the, um, uh, or he uh, coordinated the efforts to uh, do this memorial brick for Glenn Towler, the mayor of Oshkosh, born 25 July 1966. He flew west on 12 May 2022. I'm reading the uh, brick. AirVenture was his favorite place on earth. He came to this spot from New Zealand to be with his once-a-year friends. Osh won't be the same without him. And then hashtag Osh forever, Glenn out. He always ended his audio feedback with those words. And so we uh, found the uh, brick and uh, met. um, That was a thing that Glenn always did. He got everybody together at 1030 on Thursday of the AirVenture week in front of the Brown Arch. And that's where his uh, brick is located. And the local um, Adventure Today, or Air Venture Today um, newspaper sent out a photographer and took a picture of us and uh, a little bit of information about Glenn there. And that was cool. Yeah. That's really nice yep. that they Yeah, very, very much so. There's a picture. Uh, you know, I noticed something here in this uh, group picture. Everybody's like, pretty close together. And then like me, I'm thinking, well, I took a shower that morning. I don't think I stunk that bad. Yeah. You found, you found but, running water, but I think but, they just but keep did you really? Oh, oh, wait, wait, what's that voice yeah. I hear? I hear, I hear a new voice. What did you say? <laughs> Miami Rick? I'm sure it was something very nice. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> it was, you know, me, I, I, differential only, have, I sure. only have nice things to say. <laughs> yes. It was differential. Maybe differential, <laughs> not deferential. Um, yeah, anyway, so that <laughs> we had a great uh, little uh, uh, moment gathering there to honor to honor Glenn. We really missed him, and uh, many people did. And then after Oshkosh was all finished, uh, well, not quite finished, but I, I I had about a week and a half of tent camping, and I thought I am ready to not do that anymore. And so I left on Friday. And uh, headed up uh, to the uh, through northern Wisconsin, the upper peninsula of uh, Michigan, across, um, I guess that's the St. Lawrence something or other. I don't know what piece of water that is up there. Liz is going to correct me, I'm sure. Anyway, to Sault Ste. Marie. And uh, they actually let me into uh, Scandinavia. Uh, and uh, I continued uh, toward... Um, yeah, I know. Third uh, mistake. Big mistake. Uh, continued over toward, uh, what was it called? Sudsbury, I think. Um, stayed in a, an Airbnb that night. And um, uh, then finally the next day made it down to uh, Bracebridge, um, where Liz has um, rents a cottage every, uh, every year for a couple of weeks. And so uh, I met up with her, uh, actually at her brother's place there in Bracebridge. And he had a nice lunch and a lot of uh, relatives of Liz were there. I got to meet a, a bunch of those folks. 
and eat some great food and drink and be merry. And uh, although I don't think I saw Mary there, but, um, and then we went over to, yeah, next time, <laughs> next time, <laughs> next time we, or then we went over to the, uh, the lake cottage, beautiful, beautiful place. And, um, there's a picture of, uh, our producer director who's not with us. Uh, she's kind of with us. She's in the live chat. She's helping us out and directing and helping us, uh, keep things on, on track. Um, but, uh, not in my ear. Uh, I miss you, Liz. Got to come back. Get back. Anyway, so that was my uh, my great adventure, my great road trip. I think I put on about 3,200 miles or so-ish on the car and uh, got back um, uh, last week, like on Wednesday or Thursday of last week. And then I just went on a, uh, a three-day trip um, and uh, just got back yesterday. And then I go back out again. Actually, I'm going to go back out tomorrow and uh, get back on Saturday. I picked up a trip, need to pick up some time anyway. Uh, so that's it. Uh, hopefully I didn't, um, oh, it was a St. Mary's river. That's where Mary was. Uh, St. Mary's river is what I crossed at Sault Ste. Marie. Uh, <laughs> Mike, it says 3,200 miles, oh, 3,200 miles and 15 pounds, <laughs> which is actually where I thought you were going with that as well. You're like, I put oh, on, and, and I was like, probably at least 15 pounds. <laughs> yeah. Even though, Hey, I, you know, mo- most people I think exactly. lose weight because of all the walking, but I don't know. Somehow I still managed to put it on. There's yeah, a lot there's of cheese curds. There's a, a lot of fried food, fried cheese food. curds. Uh-huh. Like it, did you eat yes. anything that wasn't fried uh, while you were in Wisconsin? Yeah, some hamburgers. <laughs> they may have been <laughs> Are you fried. Sure they fried oh, yeah. Also? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah, I, I ate a lot of fried food and drank a lot of beer, but it wasn't fried beer. Um, anyway, uh, so hmm. I'm sure that I've forgotten uh, many, th- many things and I met so many wonderful, uh, listeners, uh, especially at our live show, but, uh, other times as well, um, during the week, it was a great time. And I, w- I just wish that, uh, Dr. Steph and Captain Nick and Liz and Rick were able to, uh, to, to join us there, but, um, you know, well, I'll say it here first. I'm going to plan for next year for sure. Oh, awesome. Got some different things lined up for, for my schedule for next year. So Excellent. hopefully that makes time for Oshkosh. And Very I'm hoping nice. that I'll have the RV next year because, um, Ooh. either that or we're going to rent one, uh, a nice one, but, <laughs> um, yeah, um, I'm, I've done my tent camping thing, I think, but yeah, no more yeah. tents, no more tents. But I still have it. It's great. It's a great town. By the way, that storm that went through that Saturday night and took that tree down um, next to my site, um, when I went inside the tent, not a drop of water. They said it was really raining heavily and very windy, and uh, it's a great town. Um, anyway, uh, Rick, hello. Yes, sir. How you doing? Uh, great. I'd like you? to uh, like to uh, apologize for uh, joining late. I had to uh, go drop off uh, Kaya's mom at the airport, and it's a little bit of a drive over and a little bit of a drive back. Caught a little uh, the tail end of that uh, great uh, what is it uh, rush hour traffic. So, uh, but mm. hey, made it. Good. Glad you did. Yeah. Glad you did. Mm-hmm. Let's see. We have uh, probably just under an hour remaining, so uh, we'll go ahead. Any, anything? Any quick updates on uh, what what you've been up to, 
Rick? Uh, not really. Just flew okay. a bunch of uh, Cincinnati, Miami uh, trips uh, last couple of days. Uh, very active weather uh, between uh, South Florida <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and the Cincinnati area. Oh man, had to uh, had to uh, deviate as uh, far uh, west as uh, I guess Louisville and some other occasions as far east as uh, I don't know. But uh, interesting, interesting dealing with the with, with all this weather. I'm looking I'll forward to things kind of weather. I'm pretty sure. That's yeah, yeah. Part. And trying and trying to get home the other day was uh, was a little tricky as well because of um. So we we basically had to outrun this front coming into Cincinnati. Um, and um, uh, my flight home didn't leave till about noon time or one o'clock. Um, and so we barely got out of that by the time it, uh, we got to, uh, Charlotte, it caught up with us there. And so I was stuck in Charlotte for like, son of a gun. I was like, dang, I knew you were going to be here, but we were actually, we were still flying. We had like this great hole, like there was storms all around. It was beautiful, but, uh, we were just in this like wide open area and there was like no upper wind. So nothing moved. So we're just watching it like storm in the distance and we were flying. Good. Yeah, I was like, but you know, it, it, it felt nice though, and, you know, sitting in the back and not having to deal with all the uh, all the deviations on stuff myself, like you know, letting the uh, the flight crew do their thing and not you know sit in the back and drink my cocktails and just chill out and that's not worry about so eventually, it. Yeah, exactly. Eventually made it home and back here to the desert and uh, yeah, been uh, off for the last couple of days, heading back out uh, on Sunday for a bunch of uh, Cincy uh, Houston turns. Nice short flights the way I like them now, and then uh, over to training again. So, uh, why don't you just never mind? Seems like you're well, I did. Yeah, I did my uh, I did my LDS training, my oh, uh, uh, large display uh, uh, system or the uh, latter day latter day Saints. Yeah, you're uh, a Mormon jet, now. Uh, training. Okay, cool. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. So I did that uh, back in March, and then I had to do um, so sim training for that for the differences, uh, which I guess, um, and then I had to do two flights: one uh, PM a pilot monitoring and one pilot flying. Um, because feds, I guess, I don't know. Um, and then, um, you know, fully LDS qualified and you have to f- do a, uh, a leg once every 90 days. Uh, if you let 90 days expire, then you have to do sit through the, um, uh, CBT, the computer, uh, based training for it. That gives you an extra 90 days. And if you don't fly, uh, the thing for, uh, six months, then you have to go back to the sim and do it again. So I don't know, whatever. So yeah, but but now I have to do my my actual recurrent training, um, proficiency training here in September, which uh, lines up with my medical exams, which I now have to take every six months because you know, flight level four zero zero and all, and um, <laughs> and that's that. All right, yeah. very good. Well, um, I think uh, another getting to know a segment was uh, a, a huge one. Uh, this uh, episode, but uh, hey, we've—it's been a while since we were all together and yeah. had a regular show, so probably won't have a huge uh, uh, feedback uh, segment on the show today because we do have a plain tale. Yay! So right. um, we'll quickly look at the uh, previous show covers, and uh, this one uh, was uh, episode five thirty, I believe. Um, <laughs> That uh, I was in a uh, in a park at Menominee State Park in uh, Oshkosh, and uh, on a picnic bench, or at a picnic bench, and uh, all of a sudden, about halfway through, I some flies started biting, uh, actually my my calf, but uh, it didn't rhyme. So uh, flies on my thighs is the uh, cover art that our intrepid artist uh, Captain Nick uh, 
came up with, and uh, that's a pretty great one. And yes, those are my legs and stockings. <laughs> and his stockings. Com- yes. Yeah, I was going to commend you on your choice of stockings there. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> impeccable. Taste some of my- Taste <laughs> Yeah. Classy. Yeah, thank you. Very. Thank you. It's the second time we've seen you in stockings. I know. That's true. Yeah. It's, uh-huh. uh, I have a, uh, I have a quite a wardrobe. Yes, you do. And uh, <laughs> then the uh, the next um, uh, cover art was actually a guest artwork from uh, Stephen Howland. Uh, I hope you don't mind, Stephen, <laughs> that we use that for our episode artwork for our live show at Oshkosh. Um, and uh, he he posted this on on uh, Facebook. Uh, Oshkosh News: a Crazy pilot adds insult after snagging balloonist on Starlink mast before telling them to get a real pilot's license. <laughs> uh, and uh, so that's... Um, Ouch. Uh, yeah, uh, Captain Nick is up there in uh, the uh, gondola of the uh, of the balloon, which is kind of ironic. Um, uh, yeah, I'm a bit of a basket case. <laughs> yes, you are. And then, of course, Steph in, uh, in her uh, uh, jumping uh, airplane. It's an otter. Yeah. Otter, okay. Mm-hmm. And then there's my uh, that's my modified uh, tent with the uh, APG logo on it, and then Liz poking her head out, poking her head into uh, my business, uh, <laughs> apparently. And then uh, Rick is just uh, just hanging out, just kind of leaning leaning against his uh, roller bag. I'm just, I'm just along for the ride on that. One, Unsure apparently. what yep. day yeah. or time zone. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Where are we? Yeah. Um, when are we supposed to do the next show? Exactly. That's uh, my life. I went ahead and added this uh, artwork to the hood of the uh, Honda Accord, you know, the, the airline pilot guy show uh, avatar artwork. And then, of course, I'm uh, saying hi. I'm waving hi with my finger uh, out the uh, the passenger side window for some reason. Anyway. <laughs> um, uh, it's great. a British edition Honda. <laughs> exactly. Whoops. Uh, I didn't mean to do that. Uh, so yeah, uh, great artwork. Thank you, uh, Stephen Howland, for allowing us to use that as our episode art. And that gives you know, hey, if you're out there and you're um, you know, creative like that, and you know you want to submit some artwork for our, our episodes, I'm sure that uh, Captain Nick wouldn't mind uh, if, uh, on occasion, people kind of helped out with that, right, Nick? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Chuck something in. If it's any good, we'll use it. Yeah. All right. Uh, Coffee fund. And that means we play this. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Yes, that's Jeff Smith, the jingle master, uh, the APG Java Jive, and uh, this is the Coffee Fund, your way to support the show in a financial way. And uh, you can join the Coffee Fund cadre. A couple different ways to do that. One is the uh, classic method, the uh, one-off donation uh, via PayPal, um, APG Classic Coffee Fund Classic Method. And we have some recurring uh, donations coming in. Thank you very much, the recurring donors on uh, the uh, classic method. And we also have uh, another way to uh, do recurring donations, and it is called Patreon. And we have a new producer, uh, Karen Larson. You know, she sent in that uh, video feedback. 
she and her husband uh, live the uh, RV lifestyle, and they also have a uh, beautiful carbon cub that they fly around and camp out in. And anyway, uh, thank you, Karen, for becoming a producer of the show. We also have a new executive producer, Maria O'Brien. Thank you, Maria, for signing up to be an executive producer at Patreon. And also, we have, yay, a top-tier senior executive producer, Els Piloto. I don't think that's his real name. In fact, I know that it's not his real name, but uh, he wishes to remain anonymous. And uh, he is a a real pilot, I believe, um, a very large airplane jumbo jet pilot. And uh, he uh, decided to sign up. I, you know, I always do this, especially when people sign up for the top tier at Patreon. And I said, I just want you to understand that this is the amount per episode, not per month, but per episode. And just want to make sure that you understand what you're getting yourself into. And he said, I absolutely understand it. And uh, I purposely signed up for that top tier. So thank you very much, Pilot, uh, Els Pilot. Pilato, I guess, with that, uh, the way you'd be pronouncing that, maybe? Precisely. Okay. Very good. Okay. So, hey, if you want to learn more about becoming part of our Coffee Fun Cadre, head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did, and we will too, as we always like to say. And I think that probably, let's uh, not go into the feedback yet. Let's first uh, do uh, this episode's uh, installment of the old pilot's plane tales. And Nick, let me know if you're ready to go with that. Most certainly, Jeff. No problem. The old pilot's plane tales. Batman and Robin. Considering his upbringing, it's hardly surprising that Robin Olds would end up as one of the most capable and respected fighter pilots of his generation. Were he alive now, he would be celebrating his 100th birthday, but sadly he passed away aged 85, but many, including himself I suspect, were a little surprised that he survived that long, so keen was he to place himself in harm's way. He grew up amongst remarkable people, all of whom would shape his career, but none more so than his father. Major General Robert Olds was an army man who had been an instructor pilot in France during the First World War. He was an aide to Brigadier General Billy Mitchell, and as a major had appeared as a witness on behalf of Mitchell during his famous court-martial. Mitchell had already been reduced in rank for insubordination and was in the dock for accusing the Army and Navy command of an almost treasonable administration of the national defense. For their inflexible concepts such as investing in battleships instead of aircraft carriers, a very young Robin Olds went with his father to the court-martial. Raised by his father after his mother passed away, he grew up amongst many of the leading lights who would shape the U.S. Army Air Force, such as a neighbor, Carl Spatz, destined to become the first chief of staff of the USA. Olds first flew at the age of eight in a biplane piloted by his father, 
and by 12 he had decided he was going to attend the military academy at West Point. Robin attended Hampton High School and was popular and capable, particularly in the sport of football. His team won the state championship and he was offered a football scholarship to both the Virginia Military Institute and Dartmouth College. Instead, he chose to attend a prep school for military academies and at the age of 17, when Germany invaded Poland, he tried to join the Royal Canadian Air Force so that he could go to England to fly and fight. His father refused to endorse his application, so his education continued with him joining West Point in 1940. His time there was interrupted by the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, which saw him complete his flying training at the Spartan School of Aeronautics, before returning in the hope of graduating early so that he could see action in the war. In the meantime, he continued to play football to a very high level, being named a Lineman of the Year and Player of the Year by notable commentators, and he was eventually enshrined in the College Football Hall of Fame. Robin completed his advanced flying training in 1943 and was presented his wings by none other than General Hap Arnold and graduated in the summer of that year. He completed a conversion course onto the P-38 Lightning and, after his promotion to lieutenant, he became a founding member of the newly activated 434th Fighter Squadron. Early the following year, with some 650 hours flown, Olds and his squadron arrived at RAF Watersham in England, eager to contribute to the Allies' efforts to end the Second World War. Olds made his mark with his ground crew, helping them to service and then polish his aircraft, named SCAT-2, to improve its speed. In short order, he was made a flight leader, and later on he would lead the entire squadron. Old's first two kills came in August that year, whilst escorting a bomber group attacking the port city of Wismar, and only a week later he became an ace, adding three more kills to his tally. His flight had encountered a large formation of 40 to 50 Messerschmitt BF-109s flying in loose V formations. For 10 minutes, he manoeuvred his flight undetected until they had climbed above the enemy, whereupon he jettisoned his wing tanks and engaged. Closing in on one of the German fighters, he fired when, without warning, both of his engines stopped. Now a glider, he continued to fire, seeing hits in the fuselage and watching a cowling detach, fatally damaging the 109, before diving away to work out what the problem with his aircraft was. In the heat of the moment, after dropping his external tanks, he'd failed to select the feed to internal. The problem solved, he restarted the powerful V-12 Allisons and powered back into the fight. Still in a shallow dive, I observed a P-38 and a ME-109 going round and round. It seemed that the 38 needed help, so I started down. At about 4,000 feet, the Jerry, still way out of my range, turned under me and slightly to the right. I rolled over on my back, following him, and gave him an ineffective burst at long range. But this time, 
I was traveling in excess of 500 miles an hour. My left window blew out, scaring the hell out of me. I, I thought I had been hit by some of the ground fire I had observed in the vicinity. I regained control of the aircraft and pulled out above a wheat field. And I tried to contact the flight to get myself recognized, but observed an ME-109 making a pass at me from about 7 o'clock high. I broke left as well as my plane could, and the Jerry overshot. I straightened out and gave him a burst. He shandelled steeply to the left, and I shot some more, and he passed right over me, and I slipped over in an Immelman. As I straightened out at the top, I saw the pilot bail out. By the end of the flight, Olds had enough kills to become an ace. Later in the year, the fighter group converted to P-51 Mustangs, one of which now bore Olds' favoured name, Scat, albeit the seventh in the line of Scats. He had been promoted to Major and was the 434th Operations Officer. His engagements with the enemy continued to mount, and after attacking a pair of ME-262 jet-powered fighters, he shot down a BF-109 of the Sonderkommando Eleb, a special unit of the Luftwaffe tasked to ram enemy bombers. In addition to escort duties, Olds undertook airfield attacks and was credited with 11 and a half aircraft destroyed on the ground. Risks came with these missions, and in one such attack, he was the only aircraft out of five to make it home, and that was with a badly damaged machine. He had large holes in his flaps and wing on one side, and if he slowed, the aircraft wanted to roll upside down. As a result, he landed Scat 6 at high speed, and how the aircraft and he survived the careening, bouncing and juddering ride down the length of the field, he never knew. At the age of only 22, only two years out of West Point, Robin Olds was promoted again and given command of his own squadron. He had 13 confirmed kills and the only pilot to become an ace on both the Lightning and the Mustang. He was twice awarded the Silver Star for Valor in combat. When peace returned, Olds returned to West Point as an assistant football coach but found himself resented for his rapid promotion and his plethora of combat decorations. He could see that the future of military aviation lay in the new generation of jet fighters, so he managed to get a transfer to March Field in California to fly in the very first P-80 Shooting Star Squadron. Peacetime flying didn't have the same edge to it as combat operations, so before long he'd helped form an aerial aerobatic demonstration team led by Lieutenant Colonel Pappy Herbst. They formed a two-ship aerobatic routine that toured the United States, thrilling the crowds wherever they went. Sadly, Herbst was killed during a display when he stalled during a finale manoeuvre when he looped the P-80 whilst configuring it to land. Robin Olds must have chaffed at flying in a peacetime air force as he gained a reputation for butting heads with senior officers, many of whom he saw as more interested in promotion than the needs of a fighting force. 
Perhaps as a result, he was posted to England as part of the Royal Air Force's exchange programme to take command of Number 1 Fighter Squadron, the RAF's oldest and most prestigious unit with a history that stretched back to 1878 and a motto in Omnibus Princeps, First in All Things, where he flew the Gloucester Meteor. He was the very first foreign officer to command an RAF squadron in peacetime. He very much enjoyed his time in England and was highly respected, and he returned to become the operations officer of an F-86 Sabre squadron, the Hat in the Ring 94. He then served as the commanding officer of the 71st Fighter Squadron and, as a result, missed the opportunity to fight in the Korean War despite his many requests for a combat assignment. Frustrated and discouraged, he came close to resigning until General Smith talked him out of it, but he continued to bulk against the Air Force's policy of relying on America's nuclear threat and the lack of any serious tactical air training in conventional warfare. He was promoted and was moved around Europe until September 1966, when he was converted onto the F-4 Phantom II, a course he completed in only five days and given command of the 8th Tactical Fighter Wing at Ubon in Thailand which was engaged in fighting in the Vietnam War. The wing he now commanded had suffered from a lack of aggression and leadership. Its pilots were dispirited and tired. The previous CO had only ever flown ten missions with the wing. Olds arrived, a grizzled and greying 44-year-old who challenged his men to train him up until he was better at their job than they were. He shook things up, putting the base support staff on the same 24-hour clock as the aircrew. He flew with his men and drank with them afterwards, listening to them and their ideas on how to improve operations. He encouraged camaraderie and led with flair and aggression. In his usual flamboyant manner, he proved himself a physical, mental and flying match to any of his pilots and devoted himself entirely to their success, even cocking a snoot to his superiors by growing an extravagant, decidedly non-regulation moustache. He also ensured that he was assisted by highly capable senior officers, such as Colonel Daniel James Jr. Together, they formed a legendary team nicknamed Black Man and Robin, a nod to another famous duo. When he spoke to his men, he gave them invaluable advice, learned from years of command duty. Now, don't try to fool the troops, but make sure they know the buck stops with you that you'll shoulder the blame when things go wrong. Correct without revenge or anger. Recognize accomplishment. Reward accordingly. Foster spirit through self-pride, not slogans, and never at the expense of another unit. It won't take long, but only your genuine interest and concern, plus follow up on your promises, will earn you respect. 
out of that, you gain loyalty and obedience. Your outfit will be a standout. But for God's sake, don't ever try to be popular. That weakens your position, makes you vulnerable. Don't have favorites. That breeds resentment. Respect the talents of your people. The stories of his time in Vietnam are legion, but the most famous is the one that gave rise to the 8th Tactical Fighter Wing's name, the Wolf Pack. The F-105 Thunder Chiefs had been taking losses to surface-to-air missiles until they were equipped with a new jamming pod, the QRC-160. This gave great protection, but there weren't enough around to put on their Phantom Escort aircraft as well. As a result, the Thuds flew the final part of their bombing attacks without fighter escort. The North Vietnamese took advantage of this and engaged the bomber formations with their MiGs. Seeing this pattern develop, Robert Old sought permission to fly a decoy mission that was called Operation Bolo. They borrowed the jamming pods and then flew a similar mission profile to that flown by the Thuds, except that the F-4s were loaded for bear and ready to engage any enemy fighters. The bogus strike force arrived over the target area with Old's leading, and as they passed over the MiG-21 base for a second time, MiG started popping up through the overcast cloud in an attempt to bracket the American fighters. The F-4s turned and fought, engaging and destroying seven of the enemy, nearly half of their available fighter force. Olds himself downed one of the MiGs, and then in follow-up missions the wing killed another two. In May 67, Olds destroyed another MiG-21 over Fukien, and two weeks later, two more in what was described as a vengeful chase after they shot down his wingman during a large dogfight. The Air Force now described him as a triple ace, and he would almost certainly have added to his total number of kills several times, but it had been rumoured that, had he done so, he would have been sent back to the States to be used as a publicity asset, so he passed on those opportunities to other pilots. In his beloved Phantom, now named SCAT-27, Robin Olds flew 152 combat missions in Southeast Asia, raising his lifetime total of operations to 259. He was awarded his fourth Silver Star and the Air Force Cross for leading his men on a low-level bombing strike on the Paul Duma Bridge in Hanoi, and his total record of kills reached 16. The unit he commanded rose from one of the least effective to one of the most successful, with the 8th finishing the war as the leading MiG killer. On his return, his aircraft, SCAT-27, was shipped back and given a position of honor in the National Museum of the United States Air Force. His infamous bulletproof mustache lasted until his return to the United States when the Air Force Chief of Staff stuck a finger under his nose and said, take it off. When Olds came home, he was asked to brief the President and the Joint Chiefs of Staff on what was to be done in Vietnam. His words with then-President Lyndon B. Johnson were few. 
get us out of this war. When LBJ asked how, Olds replied, It's simple, sir. Win it. Promoted to Brigadier General, he became the Commandant of the Cadets at the Air Force Academy and later the Director of Aerospace Safety and retired in 1973. In retirement, he was honoured by induction into the National Aviation Hall of Fame and is the only person also to be enshrined in the College Football Hall of Fame. He gave many talks and lectures about his life in the air and what it was like to be a fighter pilot. Being a fighter pilot is an attitude. It is cockiness. It is aggressiveness. It is self-confidence. It is a streak of rebelliousness, and it is competitiveness. But there's something else. There's a spark. There's a desire to be good to do well in the eyes of your peers and in your own mind. A hard-drinking, hard-working man, he led from the front in a way that inspired his men to become a great fighting force. He only became frustrated when he saw mistakes being made by those above him who should have known better, and he went out of his way to make his feelings known. He defined what it meant to be a fighter pilot, not only in the air but on the ground, with the stunningly beautiful Hollywood actress Ella Raines, the first of his four wives. Robert Oles died of heart failure in March 2007. Wow. Nice. So, yeah. you know, when when uh, you started talking about him and in, in back in the early portion of this plane tale, I'm thinking, "Oh, I always thought that that guy had was that guy with the big giant bushy mustache." Um, uh, I didn't realize that what it turns out it really was him. Uh, just later <laughs> in his life. Where was his mustache ba- way back then? <laughs> Well, yeah, I think it was when he got a bit older and more senior and, uh, you know, he, he needed something to separate him and yeah. to sh- indicate to his troops that he was on their side and he wasn't just a, a command lackey. Um, and I think he did a fantastic job. I mean, if if ever you wanted to have a, a more charismatic a leader in a time of war, I don't think you would ever be able to find anyone better than Robin Olsen. He generated such enormous loyalty from uh, his troops, and not just the pilots, but from the uh, every man, from the lowest of the low to the most senior guys. They all loved him and um, just wanted to follow him because they they knew he he spoke through his heart all the time, and uh, there was there was nothing fake about him at all. He he really was as has been said many times, a fighter pilot's fighter pilot, a brilliant man. And doesn't he uh, lay claim to being the only uh, fighter pilot to ever shoot down uh, another aircraft while gliding, apparently? No. Um, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I, absolutely. He was, he was unable to get that engine restarted in time. And in the meantime, he, you know, he, 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 he let a, a burst of gunfire out and he actually shot the guy down. 
while yeah, in the glide. Uh, absolutely, so, uh, yeah. When it when yeah, he mentions that it was his own silly fault that he, yeah. <laughs> he ended up in that situation. Yeah. But what a takes, what a great yeah. story. Uh, and uh, indeed, I uh, I could almost have just gone on and on and made it twice the size because. You know, to read his combat reports and to uh, to relive some of the engagements he made, uh, quite incredible. I mean, he engaged one of the uh, first uh, ME-262 jet-powered uh, mm. fighter bombers that the, uh, the Germans had at the time. And, um, you know, he, he just was just a natural pilot and a really good combat pilot. He was fantastic. Uh, typical that he didn't have nearly as much success as you would hope in peacetime, but in wartime he was just the man to go and lead from the front. Brilliant. Uh, one thing I do need to say is that, uh, of course, we had the the lovely uh, mellow voice of Greg Willits, mm-hmm. although this time he's he listened a lot to uh, Robin Old's um, lectures and talks that he gave and uh, made a real effort to call it, uh, to um, copy his style of speaking, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. So thanks very much indeed to Greg Willits, uh, our professional voiceover artist, uh, great friend of the show. And uh, if you're ever looking for a voiceover artist, then you can find him at gregwillits.com. Uh, and also to Chet Casper and our lovely friend, May Man Micah, who both suggested this subject as they knew his uh, 100th anniversary of his birth was coming around. So uh, that was the reason that I I did this particular one. So thank you, guys. That was an excellent one. Thank you, Nick. Cheers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, are you going to hang out with us for a little bit longer, Nick, or you, uh, is it time for you to hit the hit the sack? Uh, if you've got something that uh, that you need me for, I'll happily hang around for one or two. But uh, otherwise, I think I'm probably going to let you guys uh, finish up. Kind of finish up the show. Yeah, I don't know that there's anything specific um, that would be um, require you to uh, make any commentary. So, okay, um, in that case. Yeah. I'm going to leave you to it. Uh, love you and leave you. And uh, oh. I'm happy to do a boing on the head as the next uh, show title. Okay. Or this show title, I should say, the next yeah. uh, show art. Okay. So if you, if you don't mind me doing that, no. I'm just uh, going to go with legitimate. that one. It's legitimate. It's yeah. legitimate. It happens. <laughs> yeah. Of course, if something happens that's funnier, then please let me know. Now, remember, it was a tug driver that got the Boeing on his head. Just Can't, to, can't argue with that one. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Brilliant. And I'll, All right. I'll catch you next week, everybody. All right. All right. See you next Take week. care, Nick. All the best. Bye. Bye. All right. Well, it's that time, finally, uh, for a, a short uh, feedback segment. message all right let's uh do number three from boom operator chris hey captain jeff captain nick miami rick dr steph liz and everyone else out in apg land it's your favorite boom operator a few feedbacks ago four months or so time sure does fly i mentioned my five-year-old now six daughter audrey has caught the syndrome syndrome and knows the Java Jive. Captain Jeff requested I get an audio recording of Audrey singing. I've attempted to with no avail because she is a little on the shy side. Well, today my better half was looking at the pictures my daughter takes on her Kindle Fire. 
I was in my office and from the living room, I hear the Java jive. I dropped what I was doing and ran out confused as to why my wife knows the song because I thought she found it on the web. Turns out that at some point back in April, when I took my daughter to work because she was sick, she put her Kindle on the dash of my truck and sung the Java jive on camera. I couldn't send the video to my phone, so I recorded the audio. Here's an uh, So here is audio evidence, sniffles and all, that the APG syndrome is 100% communicable, especially to young children. On an entirely different topic, Captain Jeff, uh, let's see, I listened to the latest episode of PTUK, and yes, you're right when it comes to the news article about single pilot KC-46. Our union, actually known as the Boomers Ass or Boom Operator Association, does not like the idea of single pilot tankers one bit, but that's a topic of discussion for a different day. Keep the blue side up, boom is up, and latched coming forward. Boom Operator Chris, and now without further delay, let's listen to Audrey singing the Java Jive. I love coffee, I love tea, I love the Java Java, it loves me. Coffee and tea is a Java with me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. I love coffee, I love tea, I love the jabber jabber, it loves me. <laughs> coffee and tea, the jabber is me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Did uh, you like my saw guy? Yes, you do. Good, good, good. Yes, you do. Good job, good job, a good, a good, a good job, job, good job. Uh, you did a good job. Excellent Audrey. job. She, she, Audrey, you no. are a much better singer than I am. I just want you to know that. <laughs> Sniffles and all, for sure. Absolutely. I love the new Way lyrics she gave to it, too. I, I, I kind of do that same kind of thing because most of the time I don't know the lyrics for things. And so <laughs> you just, you just improv a little bit. Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. and make up some words. I love it. There you go. Yeah, that was so cute. Now, that was great. Chris, you need to teach her the actual I love coffee, I love tea, I love the uh, APG. APG community. Mm-hmm. That's all the words I have that I changed. But um, anyway, uh, that is awesome. Thank you so much for recording that and sending it to us. All right. Um, let's see. I'm going to skip around here. Well, you know, I can do this next one. Um, this is from Kyle Campbell on Facebook. Uh, he said he was listening to episode 525, and you guys were talking about a plane landing after a pilot ejected. I guess it's happened a few times. Uh, the one that I know of is the F-106 Delta Dart at the U.S. Air Force Museum. Linked is the short story about it from the pilot who ejected from it. And uh, this is a, a YouTube video, so uh, hang on, let me uh, add that, share it, play a little bit of it. I don't think we can, we have, we don't have time to do the entire, <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, they agree. They agree for sure. Uh, she goes, yeah, we don't have time for that. We got to eat. Okay, here we go. Open and boom. 
had to stream. Someone uh, named it the Cornfield Bomber. And not, not being a bomber and not being in a cornfield, it's interesting that it was named that. I don't know who, who named it that. How it got that name, it should be the Wheatfield Fighter, but uh, I guess it sounds a little catchier, I guess, to be the Cornfield Bomber. <laughs> Major Gary Faust, retired Cornfield Bomber pilot. We were to take off as a flight of four. We actually ended up as, as a flight of three because one airplane aborted. I had my wingman, which was uh, Major Jim Lowe at the time. The other member was uh, Tom Curtis. He was also a major. He was to be the opponent. We flew uh, slightly north of Mouston. I was coming in at approximately 40,000 feet. As it turned out, my opponent was lower. We met. Uh, we got into a into a vertical scissors at the time, and very shortly thereafter, uh, the aircraft uh, went into a post out stall gyration during a high speed rudder roll, and immediately went into a left hand turn flat spin. It remained in that spin as I was going through the maneuvers, the emergency procedures to recover. It uh, it did not recover. I finally, uh, after being prompted by my wingman, ejected approximately at 8,000 feet or so above the ground. Immediately after I ejected, the airplane immediately went completely nose down and recovered from the spin and flew off. Flew off a number of miles away and landed by itself in a little town by the name of Big Sandy. There was about six inches of snow on the ground. It was in a wheat field, probably skidded some couple hundred yards or more and uh, came to rest. It ran at idle until it basically ran out of gas. This wasn't the first time that the minute pilot ejected the aircraft recovered from the spin. And of course, I was, I was surprised that that was the case. I assumed it crashed, but uh, the fact that it landed by itself was obviously a, a shock to everyone. There was no major structural damage. There was ma minor damage, and the airplane was sent back to a McClellan Air Force Base, which was our depot. And at some point in time, I'm not sure when, it had been repaired and was returned to service. And I believe it was probably in about 1979, which would have been nine years later, uh, the airplane uh, was down at Tyndall. And uh, my wingman, when I jumped out of it, uh, Major Lowe was the squadron commander, not Griffiths. And he, of course, saw to it that uh, I was assigned that airplane. And I did fly that airplane uh, when they were down there training with IWS again. Well, it's a, it's a unique experience, you know. I guess I'm part of a, of a one in a million occurrence. I don't know that this has ever happened again, uh, this whole scenario, but it is good to see the airplane again and to know that it's that it's in the museum here. And this story, I guess, will uh, live on until it happens again. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. I didn't know that yeah. story. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting story. I, uh, so, I don't know. Eight times out of ten, just leave the airplane alone and it'll be covered by itself, well, I guess. <laughs> that's actually true. Hello? What happened? <laughs> that's actually true. And oh, man. Quit saying bad things about yeah, me. He's talking were. again. We can't, can't <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> can someone relearn Jeff how to use the stream here? Hi, you're here. Hi. Hello, Jeff. Thank you. For you just made for comedy me. gold. I'm not kidding. I'm glad that I'm that Where's people are able to laugh. Glad you guys are able to get a uh, laugh off of all the foibles today. Uh, 
hey, I need these lifts. This so is what I'm here for. Apparently, uh, on this trackpad, if you do something quickly with um, a couple finger swipe, you get ejected. That I yeah. normally do. Uh, yeah, you get uh, <laughs> you get ejected. That's the first time that I've ever done that. <laughs> And I'm thinking, Sorry, wait a landed, minute. We landed this podcast, and then yeah. now you're back to. Oh, man. So yeah, many well, we're still broadcasting, though. That's the good thing. We are. That's a good thing. All I did was eject myself. Speaking of ejections, like the the video that we just uh, watched and listened to. Um, yeah. So go on with what you were saying. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I never heard about that story. It's pretty amazing. But you're right, Rick. Uh, I think I don't, I never tried it, but in the T37, when you put it into a spin, we had this very long and complicated procedure, uh, uh, bold face to perform, to uh, recover from the uh, spin. And uh, a lot of us thought that, you know, if we probably just let go of everything and probably just on its own recover from the spin, we were guessing, but yeah, I mean, a lot of variables and, you know, CG position, you know, I'll. Uh, wing loading aspect ratio, a lot of things, but uh, yeah, but I, that's why I, I mean, I wasn't kidding. Eight times out of ten, you leave the thing alone. It'll just, yeah. it'll, uh, and, and I'm reading uh, um, Mike Collins's uh, "Carrying the Fire" uh, book, and he uh, he talks about uh, that same procedure on T38s, where you just leave it alone. The thing flies itself so out. So when yeah. I went through spin hmm. training, T38, you know, the acronym wow. "Pray" was also just if you can't remember what "Pray" stand for, stands for. Just pray and let go of everything, and <laughs> the aircraft pray. will probably recover itself. <laughs> Prayer works. Prayer works. Yeah, it does. Most of the time. Yeah, okay. the, the Luscom the Luscom will fly out of a spin in like one turn. Right. Uh, that's, wow. I'm sure, among the many uh, similar characteristics between the Luscom and the F-106. Yes, just one of them. Very similar aircraft, yes. That is like a highly, uh, well, a very aggressively swept wing Delta Dart canard configuration that's a weird configuration airplane mm-hmm. it's yeah. not a not run-of-the-mill common yeah no yeah. nope well you know what folks um i wanted to save this to toward the end of the show because um i i thought it would be fitting to mention that well hang on let me play this gotta play this the adventures of ivor and Tarquin. Okay, that's the that's the special sound uh, bumper that we would always play when uh, we'd get something um, from Tarquin, especially, but uh, sometimes from Ivor as well. Of course, one and the same. Uh, Ivor was a uh, a very dedicated listener to our show and uh, a frequent contributor, and this man had a uh, an amazing sense of humor, a very, very dry wit, and uh, everything he sent us was just uh, something that we we laughed out loud, literally. Um, and he was such a, a wonderful man and uh, a husband and father. And uh, we learned, um, what was it, last week or uh, the week before? End of last week or over the weekend. Yeah, um, uh, relatively recent um, th- that um, uh, we somebody saw a posting from Ivor's wife uh, that uh, he had just suddenly passed away uh, from a heart attack, I believe. And uh, is that right, Steph? Cardiac causes some yeah, cardio. some cardiac cardio mm-hmm. thing, and uh, and 
I was just in shock, honestly. When I saw that, I thought this has got to be somebody, you know, joking around with us. Maybe it was Ivor himself joking around because that's the sort of thing he'd probably do. Uh, but it was not a joke. Um, he uh, he passed away, and uh, Ivor, um, you know, if, if you're if you're hearing us right now, um, I, we we love you and uh, we we really miss you. And we'll continue to miss you for quite some time. And uh, luckily, your your humor is um, is present in all of our or all the episodes that you sent in feedback in the past on the uh, on the airline pilot guy show. And uh, you know, thank you for 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 adding some levity to this sometimes very challenging, frustrating world that we live in now. And uh, you know, we're just we're just going to miss you, Ivor. So. Um, and, and our prayers and thoughts go with um, Ivor's wife and, and family, and for that for the really really great loss. Uh, I don't know if anybody else wants to say anything. Uh, no, I don't think I can say it any better than you just did, Jeff. But you know, he frequently brought Taco and Truman into the uh, mm. commentary he made about me, and they're here with me now. So from all of us, we're raising a glass to to Ivor. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, man. yeah, I don't, I don't really don't know what to say. You know, you, this, that's just, I guess, part of life, you know, that, mm. and we've lost, we've lost so many in the last year, year to two, um, that, you know, we're very big parts of the, uh, podcasting aviation podcasting world. And, uh, as somebody commented, when we heard of this tragic loss of Ivor just recently, it was like, okay, that's enough, you know, no more at least for 2022. So, um, yeah, but that's, that's why we're together as a community to kind of help each other through these kind of things and, uh, and, uh, not take for granted, you know, uh, our relationships with each other. Yep. Absolutely. Very true. Okay. With that, who knows? How long we've been running today? We've had several technical glitches <laughs> and yeah, human error. But you know I'm what? Sure I feel Ivor would have something very pithy to say. <laughs> he I'm sure he would. would. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think that uh, this this will be a good time to wrap up the show, um, and uh, we'll do that uh, as we always do by uh, mentioning that we do have a website, airlinepilotguy.com where you can uh, learn about the crew and uh, at least the, the state of the crew about a year ago <laughs> or longer uh, and the community and the community calendar. And we have merchandise and we have the uh, APG library and we have what else? Uh, more information about each of the plane tales, by the way, Captain Nick, if you're listening to this, I'll, I, I'm kind of behind on uh, putting those things up there. So it's not his fault. It's mine. So I'll try to catch up with that. And uh, so much more on that website. So uh, check it out again, airlinepilotguy.com. We're also on social media. Steph, why don't you tell yeah, us about if that? websites are too difficult for you, you can head to your favorite social media platform. We're on Twitter. Um, you probably don't have those overlays ready to go. Oh, I can Liz try to do here. that if you want. Uh, it doesn't matter. I think everyone yeah. knows how to find Twitter at this point. And if you don't, welcome to 2022. <laughs> um, we are at APG Crew, and you can find our individual Twitter handles pinned to the top of that page. Uh, we're also on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. 
Um, that's the Oops, feedback. I'm sorry. Yeah. Let's start <laughs> with the mail. if you wanted that. That's <laughs> <laughs> fine. It's fine. They know so where to what's find this one over here. Oh, it's Facebook. Um, if you do want to leave feedback, that's feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. Um, Instagram, we're APG crew there as well. And for for the, the hardcore folks, the ones who really want to be involved in all things APG, that's you're looking for slack. And I'll let Hillel remove himself from the bathroom to enlighten us on slack. There we go. I hear I hear uh, the shower running. Hey, Hillel. Hillel, can you can you do some slack? All right, come on over here. Come on, tell us about slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Okay, thank you, Hillel. Thanks, Hillel. Fire in the hole. Oh. Oh, careful. Yeah. Uh, maybe um, shut that door. I don't know. Maybe I would. take a shower yeah. again. Fan. Turn the fan on. <laughs> I'm still not sure why we're not selling Mufaritos and like epaulet uh, bathrobes because I think those would be hot sellers. Okay. That so would be. Why don't that you get be. right on that stuff? What was the first right. one? Lufarignos? Yeah. Uh, There's a not not Tiny little, <laughs> tiny little. No, look at his head. It's like, is that a burrito or a loofah? It's really unfortunate. <laughs> I know. Not sure <laughs> if he just needs a shower burrito or if he's going to like exfoliate. It's, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. All right. Well, as always, Hillel, uh, you, you help us out so much uh, and especially each and every week by hogging the bathroom. And, uh, Finally, uh, we'd like to thank Liz uh, Piper, who, uh, believe it or not, was with us in the live audience, and uh, she was doing her darndest to uh, to direct us uh, from there, even though she wasn't in my room, or my room, my ear directly, <laughs> in the control room. Uh, yeah, whatever. Freudian Okay. <laughs> Uh, and uh, with that, I, uh, we just need to end this thing. Let's just say thanks for listening. We look forward to seeing you again next week. And until next time, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Talents, Douglas. Take care, everybody. Keep the side up. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. a good good pilot till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats airline pilot guy I fly a oh, airline pilot guy
Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, not a guy 